morning. Welcome to the latest episode of the Shift Talk podcast. I am one of your three hosts, Matthew, and I am joined again by the other two hosts in the intro here. Say hello, guys. What's up? We're coming at you this week um, with a new episode, fresh off of Doctor Strange Love last week. We're, uh, you know, switching it up this week and getting into a, you know, still a very relevant, you know, thematic film, uh, but this one, uh, Definitely a little bit newer than Doctor Strange Love, but before we do get into that, uh, I think we're just going to do a little catch up uh, this week because usually this is uh, the one time a week that I do get to speak with you guys, um, not through text. So, what have you guys been watching this week? Uh, what's been on your screens? Yeah, so I'm—I really haven't. Uh, I don't think I watched any movies this week, um, because mainly because I got really hooked on a great TV show. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have heard much about it but i've been i've binge watched two seasons of rami on hulu um it's a24 produced tv show which i believe is their first uh venture into tv and they've done that in euphoria i don't know which one came first i think i believe rami came first because this was the second season yeah Uh, okay i've heard a lot of good things i didn't know a24 was behind that that's cool yeah. yeah, I've been meaning to watch it. I've heard that A24 did it, and I really like Euphoria, so I've been meaning to give it a shot. Yeah, I also like Euphoria. But Rami, it, it's if any of you guys watch Master of None, it kind of the style of the show reminds me a lot of that, but um, it's a little bit deeper, and you know, it's still it's still a funny show, but it's definitely got some uh, some deep themes. I mean, it's about you know this character Rami. Uh, he's He's a Egyptian American who's struggling between growing up in New York in his twenties and living the normal life of a twenty-year-old, and his spiritual journey of being a Muslim and trying to, you know, be be faithful and follow the path of of Islam. And that that struggle is just really well done in the show. Um, you know, it was. I found it very, very interesting. It really made me want to go and learn more about the religion of Islam, honestly. Um, but, you know, it's like I said, it's very funny. It, it reminds me a lot of Master, Nine, Master of None, so I definitely recommend it. Um, and the other thing I watched was, you know, the season finale of I Know This Much Is True came out this week. I guess it was the, the series finale, too. Um, I've talked about it a little bit before, but um, a very a very sad and depressing show to watch, but it's extremely good. And Mark Ruffalo and uh, Rosie O'Donnell in it are absolutely uh, incredible. Yeah, I looked it up and I did not know that the uh, creator of the show, also the director of all the episodes, I, mean, I might butcher his name. His name's Derek Sion France. And he is really good. He directed this movie called Blue Valentine, which is like fantastic. Really recommend. He also directed uh, a Place Beyond the Pines. I think that's his most popular movie. Okay. But Blue, yeah. Blue Valentine is really, really good. So I, I'm gonna have to check that show out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it has Ryan Gosling in it, right? Yeah, it does. yeah. He's in, he's in uh, both those films. Yeah, I've seen Place Beyond the Pines. I, I really did enjoy that movie, but I haven't seen Blue Valentine, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, Blue Valentine is really great. I'm gonna have to watch that probably because I do love me some Mark Ruffalo and I love getting hit in the feels. So it sounds like a sounds like a perfect, uh, perfect well, for me. This one will do that. I mean, like it's 
it's on the only complaint I really have on it is it's like too bleak. But it's kind of the point of the show, but like it's just one thing after the other. It's just you know, like it almost doesn't give you time to feel what's happening because there's something else really bad happening to this character. But um I think it the payoff to the show was really good and you know, it's just a it's a limited series, only six episodes. So it's something that I think uh both you guys would enjoy. I think our audience would enjoy it too. I mean, especially if you're a Mark Ruffalo fan. But you know, that's really about all I've watched this week. Uh Cruz, what all have you seen? Uh yeah, I haven't watched much. Um I watched um this horror movie on Netflix called The Ritual. Uh I've seen that. Yeah, it was directed by um uh David Bruckner, who did probably the best segment on this horror movie anthology called VHS. He did the one with the glasses camera and like the girl with the split face. Um, but I liked it a lot. It wasn't uh, perfect, but I really like movies. Like I said, I really like horror movies where like the horror is supposed to be representative of something. And I think it did it in a really interesting way. Um, I can understand someone doesn't like the movie, but it, it kind of reminded me of this video game I used to play called Outlast 2. And it mm-hmm. gave me those vibes. And it was I really liked it. Honestly, I really dug it. So is that the movie about the is it like set in Ireland and they're in the woods? Yeah, it's in Sweden. These uh this this dude's this guy's friend is murdered in a in a um in like a liquor store robbery and him and all of his friends go to this uh, like remote location in Sweden to pay their respects, and they decide to make a shortcut through the woods um, when leaving. And they're like, "There's like some stuff I won't spoil going on in the woods." That I just uh, want to point out that it's it's never a good idea to take a shortcut through the woods. No. Yeah. I, I did not expect to get an Outlast refle- reference in this pod, but uh, oh yeah, I love Outlast, dude. I have so not, good. I have not played either game, probably because I'm I'm just you know I'm just too scared to play them. But uh, I definitely have watched people on YouTube like play both of them multiple times. Uh, but just know they're really great. There's a lot of comparisons to Outlast two specifically with this game. This movie. Yeah, I I could definitely see that just from the little I know about the movie and watching Outlast 2, but yeah, those are some great horror experiences as well, uh, so if it's anything like that, I think I'd probably enjoy it. Speaking, it's really good. Speaking of video games, I want to mention that I've been deep in my uh, playthrough of The Last of Us in preparation for the new one coming out this week, and oh, yeah. I just want to yeah. reiterate what a masterpiece that game is. So oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm playing Call of Duty Zombies again. I haven't played in forever, and I felt bored, so... Honestly... You know, we may have to, you know, give it a couple weeks, but to digest for everyone. But we may have to have an impromptu uh, video game podcast about about The Last of Us Two and kind of talk about that if it's if it's as good as uh, what I what I anticipate. I'd gladly do that. I love that game, so I would gladly do yeah, it. I'm super excited. But Cruz, was that all you had watched, or what did you have? Oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I, I watched. Um... I watched another movie, Miss Avery. Um, I had meant to watch it. It came out in like 2018. 
Um, the way the trailers made it look was that it was going to be like this, like grindhouse horror movie where like these uh, it's like during world war two and these U S soldiers find out um, that there, these soldiers are trying to block a, or destroy a radio tower that's blocking, um, um, blocking like signals for um, the U S military to like, locate like a base in Germany coming into uh, D-Day and these soldiers have to go and destroy the tower and then come to find out the, in the movie uh, they're actually um, the Nazis are playing around with a supernatural serum that basically kind of turns them into these super zombies and I thought the movie was just going to kind of be like a, a grimy like overly like over the top grindhouse movie and it definitely does kind of do that in the last 30 minutes but i was actually really shocked that everything before that is actually like a really well done kind of drama that like poses a lot of like moral questions it was really really good i i i enjoyed it a ton i was not yeah. expecting you cut out a little bit but you did say that you're talking about overlord correct Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't hear the. I didn't hear you say that in the beginning, but when you started describing it, that's what I picked up on. I remember when the when that movie was being advertised, the trailer does make it look. You know, I was really intrigued by the trailer. I never got around to watching it. It was rumored to be a, a secret Cloverfield movie. For a yeah. Long yeah. Time. AJ produced it. Thank God it wasn't. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm glad it wasn't too. I mean, like you said, I, it was a good movie at all honestly no it wouldn't have there's not even like spoiler there's not even like big monsters in it or anything like that but yeah it's like one of those where the beginning is really uh the begin like when it finally gets to all the like crazy zombie stuff it's really interesting but like it's also by itself before that point like a really interesting war drama i definitely have to check that out because uh, I, yeah. think, I think it's uh, maybe I was influenced by random reviews that I saw or something like that, because I feel like I was excited to see it. And then maybe maybe I'm just making this up, but I feel like I saw where it got middling to poor reviews and maybe I, that just kind of turned me off from it. But uh, I definitely trust y'all's judgment. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to add that to my list. I think I think what might have given it like because it, it was kind of divisive. And I think it's because I th- people thought it was just going to be like a really cool zombie action film. And it's like really not like all the stuff that the trailer makes it out to be is not until like the last 30 minutes. Everything before that is like a character drama and it's a really good one, but, but I could understand like, cause I was confused. I was like, Oh wow. I did not realize like this was more than just a, like a little grindhouse zombie flick. Um, it actually has a 81% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, Oh wow. Is probably higher than you would expect, that but uh, I mean, I think that's I think that's a, a fair score for it. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I really liked it. And then the uh, the final movie I watched, uh, which was easily my favorite one of all of them, was uh, Ghost Stories, directed by Andy Neiman, I think, and Jeremy Dawson. I'm gonna butcher that, but okay, this is different than a ghost story, right? Is, is different from a ghost story. They Not both came. Movie. But huh? 
I hate that movie, so I just wanted to make sure that it was different. Oh, well, a Ghost Story is like one of my favorite movies, so I don't even want to get into it with you. Like. But you better watch it, dude. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna do the, a Ghost Story soon. I love that movie. Do you really not like it? Uh, I think it's one of the most pretentious movies I've ever seen. Oh my god, here we go <laughs> with with one scene that is just uh, over the top pretentious. I remember it's not even over the top. It totally serves a purpose. It serves a it, good purpose. It lasts three hours. The scene. I mean, it's seven like, minutes long. <laughs> I remember. To be I love that scene. I'll admit, I was thrown off by when I first watched it, but when I like got what they were going for, I loved it. I was down for it. I remember seeing the previews for a Ghost Story and being very interested. So, yeah, the trailers didn't do it justice. The trailers made it out to be something way different than it ended up being. But I was, I loved it. I was okay. really into. It. I'll rephrase. I don't hate the movie, but during that one scene, I almost turned it off. Like I was like, I was very close. <laughs> I have to say, I saw it in theaters. Like everyone walked out at that scene. I mean, with good reason. I mean, it's it's pretentious. I'm sorry, it is. I'm gonna have disagree. It's pretentious, but it does test your patience. <laughs> but overall, like, after that, I mean, it's you know, I think it's a decent movie. It's just, I don't know, it's not as effective as as it could have been, in my opinion. But it's been a long time since I've seen it. That was like my favorite movie of 2017. No, I think I believe I believe I remember talking about this movie. When we both worked at the theater, but back in the yeah, definitely good like, old days. Cash is in this movie. They had a hundred thousand dollar budget. I'm gonna oh yeah, no, it's cheap. Now. It's a cheap movie. Is bare bones. Well, um, I, I get hearing the discussion and about this scene. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check it out. Oh, I my, I was I planned on recommending it one day because to me that's a movie I could talk hours about. Like I'm really into that movie, so I mean I get I won't since Jake <laughs> like it. I don't want to make I don't want to make Jake sit through that movie again. But I'll, I'll a lot. just skip that scene. I think I think you're 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 being a little too harsh on it. I think there's a lot that I think there's a lot that I really dig that he tried to go for. Hold on, that's not even the movie I'm, I'm into even recommend. Uh, the the or the movie that I watched. I yeah, watched a sorry. different movie this time. I think you'll like a lot more, Jake. Um, this it is really great. It's uh called Ghost Stories. It's on Hulu, and essentially it's about this guy who is a psychologist. I think I know he's a professor. I'm pretty sure it's a professor in psychology. Um, and. He has a show, and basically he's dedicated his whole life to disproving the supernatural and, like, proving psychics to be con men. And, like, his whole philosophy is there is no supernatural. It's only psychological. Like, you know, the brain sees what it wants to see. If you think you've seen a ghost, you haven't, like, you're, you know, wrong. And that's, like, his whole philosophy. And then the psychologist that inspired him who like disappeared a long time ago and they never knew what happened to him uh sends him a a a letter in the mail giving him his whereabouts and he goes to find this guy who like inspired him to become like a skeptic and essentially he's just like your life's work like you're just running away here are three cases that i couldn't crack I want you, if I want you to go solve these cases, and if you can prove that it's not supernatural, please tell me. 
And essentially, it's it's kind of told in vignettes. It's just this psychologist going to these three cases and investigating them to see if it's like actually supernatural or actually psychological. And it is just it's so good. It 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 does the film in a way where if you wanted to just write it off as like, oh, this is all supernatural, you could, but there's also enough there to where it's like, oh no, like it is psychological. Like this person saw this because it represented like this to them. And it's just so well done because it teeters that line. Now near the end, it does kind of start to go much deeper and you realize this movie like is going for way more than you realize. And it, it to me, it really works. Um, I could see it being divisive near the end because of the route it decides to take, but I think it's like really profound. It, it was easily the best movie I watched um, even this week, I'll say like of all the movies we watched. Cause I did watch also watch the movie we're going to review, which we'll talk about, but this was easily my favorite one. Cause I'm already into like the psychology of ghosts. Like I've, I've always been interested into like how like supernatural, like popular supernatural cases and stuff were like investigated and like has a connection to like our psyche. And it really goes into that in really interesting ways. And as each case goes on, it be like the first case is kind of easy to write off, but as each case goes on, it gets harder and harder, and it just to deny a supernatural presence. But it's really interesting. It, it definitely sounds interesting. I looked it up, and it has Martin Freeman in it. I was just about to say it's got Martin Freeman. He's awesome in it. Yeah, I love him. He's one, one of my favorite actors. All the all the actors are really great. I don't know um, if anyone in here has watched Black Mirror, but it's got Alex Lawther, who is the kid in the Shut Up and Dance episode, and he is like, in my opinion, like the best performance in the whole movie. I haven't seen that, but I definitely recognize him. I think was let's see, he was in something else. He was in End of the World. End of the uh, yeah, yeah, yep, that's where. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I've definitely. It seen definitely looks show. interesting to me as well. Um, that concept does that concept is really interesting. Um, yeah, it is really good. Uh, but go into it blind. Do not look up any spoilers because it it really tries to like it, it. It's it's one of those movies where spoilers don't really bother me. But if I would have known going in the spoiler, I do think it actually would have cheapened my experience because the way the way the movie unfolds, it's it's super good. Um, but. And I have a TV show. I actually watched a, a, the whole season of a television show this this week, which is a rarity. I'm really bad at watching TV shows. Um, it's a new show. I only watched it because my girlfriend wanted to watch it. It's called Love Life. It's like part of HBO Max or something like that. And I really liked it. It's got Anna Kendrick in it. And essentially, it's just about this girl trying to like find her you know, boyfriend for life, like the person that she wants to spend the rest of her life with. And like each episode is dedicated to like a different like fling. And like, it sounds corny on paper and it probably is really corny on in like when you're watching it, but I just really enjoyed it. It was nice. It was like a breath of fresh air to watch something that was just kind of, uh, not dark and cynical because that's usually the only stuff I watch is dark and cynical stuff. So it was a nice little refresher. It was a cute movie or a cute show. I think Kendrick's really good in it. Yeah, I don't have HBO Max, but um, I've already used my seven day free trial and I wasn't impressed enough to uh, get a subscription. So 
My girlfriend's dad has it because he just gets like all the streaming services he can. So we just come off him. Yeah, the uh, the rollout for that has been less than uh, less than stellar, from what I've seen. They're really banking on that Snyder cut. Well, you know, it's well, they may not make it to the Snyder cut. Uh, that's Am good. I not? I'll be bummed, honestly. Now that I have access to it, I really want to watch the Snyder. Cut. Well, that that cut's going to come out one way or another, or we're going to have. A, a neckbeard rebellion that will probably destroy Warner Brothers Studios if that movie doesn't get released. So I can't wait for the movie to not be good, but then everyone, because of all the like commotion they made up until this point, are going to pretend it's good. Well, like, I cannot yeah. wait. Yeah, and again, not to get off on a tangent, but that is exactly what's going to happen. It doesn't matter. Yeah. How, it does not matter how good or bad. The, like, I would even go so far as to say it'll probably be better. I mean, maybe if you have a whole year to, you know, recut a movie that's already came out and been, you know, criticized heavily, I would think if you somehow don't make the movie better then then the movie was just cursed to begin with. But yeah, no matter how good or bad it is, it's going to be, it's going to be heralded as, you know, that this was perfect and Warner brothers, you know, ruined uh, what could have been. And I don't know. You know, I won't get off on that tangent, but the I will say the only fear I have about this movie is the fact that it's going to be like they've said it's going to be like over four hours long. And like literally the only reason I would say that Justice League isn't as bad as Batman v Superman is because it's not even two hours. Yeah, I think I saw they couldn't decide if they were either going to release the whole thing as one cut or if they were going to break it up into episodes, which I think that. I don't know. This whole thing just this whole thing just annoys me to no end. And it's only because the those hardcore like Snyder fans are just so insufferable online. Like I'm sorry, but they just are. But mm-hmm. like I think I think um I think if you can't make it into a cut of just one movie that would have gotten released, because they wouldn't have released a four hour movie. Like I don't I don't understand what we're doing here. Like why don't like they just need to they need to release it as one movie in something that would have been in theaters, then that would that would show me that it was worth waiting for to watch. If you just release four hours of just any type of footage that you have, I mean, it might be cool to see. Like, I'm a comic book fan, so I'm sure I would enjoy it, but I don't know. I just feel like it'd be, you know, a lot of wasted time. But so, that's uh, for another time. We, I'm sure we'll cover the Snyder Cut when, whenever we get to watch it. But I will definitely have to at this point. <laughs> Um, but if that's all you had, Cruz, I can just quickly go into what I watched. I didn't watch, um, you know, a ton of things this week, but I, I, I rarely do anyway outside of what we cover. So, uh, this week, the first thing I watched was Middle Edition Schwartz on Netflix. The, it's an improv comedy special, uh, with Thomas Middleditch, uh, from Silicon Valley and Ben Schwartz from Parks and Rec. That would probably be where most everybody knows them. Uh, they do an impromptu improv comedy session where like on stage in front of a live audience and basically they just ask random questions in the audience and get a premise. And then once they get the premise, they just kind of go off for like 45 to 50 minutes uh, making up the entire show. And it's, it's, it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. It takes an insane amount of talent to pull that off. And, you know, it's, it's really fun to watch, and it is it's pretty hilarious. So, um, definitely give it a chance if uh, if you're wanting to look for something a little a little lighter uh, or like a palate cleanser. 
I almost watched that a couple times because it would be one of the first things that popped up on Netflix when I logged in. It it does look interesting. Just I've been meaning to. I'm taking. I'm going to take your word, Matthew, that they do really well because I've also heard they've been doing well. But yeah, that's impressive because improv so hard because we had to do a very similar exercise in theater back in high school, and that was the most difficult thing having to just take like. Provide like a whole story and scenario. It was the worst. I would say too that it's it would probably be a good middle ground for people that don't watch like stand up comedy. Um, it it would be a great kind of entryway into that medium because I love stand up comedy. Um, but it's it's not it's not it's not remotely the same medium. And I think I think pretty much anybody would enjoy it. Um, so definitely, uh, can't recommend that enough. Um, I also watched um, the other. The only other thing I watched um, was, um, and I put it on kind of in the background uh, while I was working. Um, I watched Ace Ventura: Pet Detective uh, for probably the second or third time in my life. Um, Never I seen that movie. I, I don't know why I watched it. I, I think I was just scrolling through. I wanted to have something on while I was working. And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen this movie in a long time. Like, I wonder if I still think all the funny parts that I used to think were funny. I wonder if I still think they're funny. And honestly, I didn't for the most part. Like, I would say 80% of the movie is just like really really bad i mean the whole movie is is bad by itself like the, the movie in general but i would say there's probably like five to ten minutes that are pretty funny i mean you're just basically watching like vintage jim carrey um and some of the parts so, like i said some of it's pretty funny but outside of that like the first 30 to 40 minutes i was watching i was just kind of like wondering how i used to think it was that funny but yeah so i watched that and not too much to talk about it because, like I said, it, it's no, uh, you know, it's no Oscar bait or anything like that. It's just, uh, it's just Jim Carrey. So, yeah, I don't have right. anything to add because I've never seen it. So, no, no worries. You know, we're not, we're not missing much. It's, it's totally fun. Um, but I did, I did watch one other thing, and we all watched it, uh, and we kind of wanted to save this for last. Um, and it kind of, you know, will bleed into the topic of discussion for the podcast and really the movie review in general, but to kind of shift gears, uh, we all watched 846, the uh, special, the free special from Dave Chappelle. And, you know, I I don't think this is going to be a fresh take because I'm sure if you are aware of what it is or, you know, have heard people talk about it, then you've probably seen glowing reviews. And that's, that's pretty much all I have to say about it is that it's, it's a completely necessary and vital, you know, piece of content to watch right now. If you, if you don't, um, you know, if you kind of found yourself being just overstimulated at the amount of news and things that are going on right now, um, I think, I think it just is a perfect encapsulation of kind of thoughts and emotions I was having about everything. Um, and I can't speak highly enough about it. it. It's it's a really powerful. It's not even stand up comedy. It's more of just like a spoken performance. Um, yeah, there's like barely any jokes. But when he does do a joke, it is funny. When yeah. Just like- to me, it kind of ex- it kind of also shows not to take away from the at the actual message, which is you know 
basically, you know, just protesting police brutality and, you know, advocating for black lives. Um, but it, it really just communicates wh- why Dave Chappelle is, is one of the greatest, you know, comedians of all time and greatest communicators, social communicators of all time. Like he, he's just, he's so good at, explaining something and getting a message across in a very relatable way. And I think it's because he has such a reputation among his fans and comedy fans in general of, you know, having a clear voice and having one of the clearer voices. Um, You know, his his messages don't usually get muddled. There's no wasted time or wasted, uh, wasted stage time with him. He's always on point, I think. Um, Yeah. And this is only, it's only 28 minutes long. So, I mean, I, Go watch it. There's, I mean, you can find 28 minutes throughout your day. Oh yeah. So go hey. watch this, and you know, just just sit there and listen. I mean, it would be a disservice for one of us to try to put put into words what he's saying. Just go watch the video, mm-hmm. the special, and I mean, he puts it into his understandable terms and uh, expresses it in a way that I, I mean, everybody should be able to to see that perspective by listening to him speak. So that's really all I have to say about it. Yeah, it really is excellent. Um, So definitely give it a watch. And, you know, on that note, um, as to, you know, today's pod, we are reviewing uh, the film Monsters and Men, which delves into these topics. Um, it's, It's the core, you know, it's the center of the film. And before we do get into that, um, I thought it would be, you know, we all thought it would be um, interesting to just highlight some of our favorite um, black filmmakers, uh, black films, you know, heavily featuring um, black lead actors, just anything in general that we wanted to promote um, that we're big fans of. Because obviously the uh, the core message of the pod here is is going to be, you know, about how important the conversation is uh, to be carried out everywhere. Um, advocation, the advocation of and promotion of, you know, black lives. And, and part of that is black art in general and and just the promotion of all types of content that promote that. So uh, I'll let one of you guys go first. Uh, Just, it doesn't really, I, I thought about just listing off a bunch of names, but if there was something in general you guys wanted to start off with, go ahead. Um, I mean, I I don't really want to go into detail about some of these movies because uh, I was telling you guys earlier that it's been a long time since I watched most of the movies on my list. I tried to come up with, I think I came up with 10 total movies um, that really just come to the top of my mind that's probably had the biggest impact on me. And I think that we're going to have a lot of overlap um, as far as some of the movies we mentioned and uh, the directors we mentioned. I know we've already kind of discussed some of those, but um, you know, the, the first one, and I guess it's one of the more recent movies. Well, I say more recent. It's been the last five years, but the first movie that really comes to mind for me is Moonlight, um, by, directed by Barry Jenkins. Uh, that's one of the most moving movies that I've ever seen. Um, there's some, There's one scene in there that is just... I think it's the most powerful movie scene that I've seen in probably the last five years. And I'm not going to go into detail about that, but it, it involves, you know, Mahershala Ali's character, um, 
And he's a he's a real highlight in that movie. And it's, I think it's I believe it's the first thing that I saw Mahershala. It was a breakout role. It yeah. was a big breakout film. It's yeah. funny that you say that. <laughs> it's a testament to how great this movie is because you were saying there's this really one powerful scene you won't say. And honestly, like I didn't know what you were talking about. Like I didn't know which scene you're referring to because there's so many scenes I could say that about. Like, it's yeah, pretty- that's true. The the scene I'm talking about is the the dinner table. Dinner table. Oh yeah. No, once you once you brought up Marsh Holly, I knew exactly what scene. But uh, there's just so many other great scenes too. I was just yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's it's excellent. I was it's one of the few. I'm sorry, Matt. I didn't mean to. Come. No, I, I was just gonna say I'm glad you said it first because I, I definitely wanted to get that out there. If you haven't seen, you know, Moonlight, you you need to change that immediately because it's you know it, even if, even if you can't relate or can't you know appreciate like the you know the racial themes that are in the movie i mean it's just it's just an emotionally resonant movie um on on multiple fronts so i mean it's just a it's an all-timer it's it's amazing obviously it it won best picture and you know the i guess that's the famous oscar uh debacle and it won best picture over one of my favorite movies la la land and um you know this movie definitely deserved. I think both movies deserve to win, but there's no debate that like this is a deserving movie of that award. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no argument I think that you can really make, even though La La Land, like I've already said, is one of my favorite movies ever made. Um, this movie is just that incredible. Uh, it's a A24 movie, which you know they're pretty much always on their game, but um, you know Barry Jenkins is. Um, he's one of the best, I think, working right now. He also, uh, recent his most recent movie, I believe, is If Bill Street Could Talk. He hasn't came out with anything since then, has he? No, not yet. That movie's also fantastic. Yes, it's it's a very good movie. Um, but uh, Cruz, did you have anything? Did you have an, somebody that you wanted to go ahead and? Oh well, just about about Barry Jenkins Moonlight. That's like one of the few movies that I would genuinely consider a masterpiece. Like sometimes I use masterpiece freely, and there's definitely I mean there's movies I've given like five out of fives that I don't consider like a masterpiece. There's only a, a few. That's one of them. That's like one of the movies where I walked out and I was like, that's like a through and through masterpiece. I mean, there's that film. I don't have. I couldn't even think of a flaw in the movie, and if there is one, it's it's so small like you'd have to i mean like there's nothing that comes to mind that i can think of that's like an issue yeah that movie um, yeah, and if Bill Street could talk is extremely powerful and also great i like moonlight more but i still think that's an extremely well-made movie and he also has moonlight a lot of people think moonlight's his first film it's actually a second film um his first film is called medicine for melancholy and so if anyone hasn't seen that you know you can always check it out was what he made before Moonlight. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that one. I but you know, uh, with this, the strength of his other movies, it's definitely getting added to my list. I've got to watch it. But yeah, I look forward to seeing what he does um, in the future. I'm sure he's got something in the works right now. I'm not sure what that is, but you know, if Bill Street Talk came out in 2018, so and Moonlight was 2016, so. I don't know. I he, might have a, he might have another movie this year. Well, it's unlikely with the coronavirus and everything going on, but hopefully in the near future, he'll have something. 
Yeah, hopefully so. Um, I'll be excited to see what he what he does next. But um, did you guys have anything that you wanted to? I mean, yeah. I have some other movies on my list, but I'll let you guys go ahead and. I mean, just get some big ones out of the way, because I mean, I know that obviously, um, these are super well known directors, uh, but you know, two. I definitely don't want to, you know, be disingenuous. Like I, I'm excited to hear what, you know, other recommendations you and Cruz have because um, I always want to expand my horizons as to what, you know, media I take in. Um, but really, you know, the ones I was just going to mention, um, Jordan Peele obviously is one of the best doing it right now um, with us and Get Out, and we talked a lot about Jordan Peele uh, last week. Uh, Ryan Coogler uh, directed Creed. He wrote Creed Two or was one of the main writers on Creed 2 and obviously directed Black Panther and is going to direct Black Panther 2. Um, so I, the MCU fan in me, I, could, I couldn't leave Ryan Coogler out. I think that's going to be, uh, well, it already is. I mean, he's going to be after Black Panther 2 and probably, I would assume, Black Panther 3. You know, he's he'll be set set for life as far as um, getting getting a paycheck from anywhere, anyone he wants yeah. to make anything he wants. I want to just add that, like, being able to pull off Creed um, is really, really impressive. I mean, you know, I remember not, I mean, when I heard they were making a spinoff of Rocky, I, I remember not being interested at all, even though I was a big Rocky fan. And when I finally did get around to watching Creed, I mean, it, it may be the best, best one of that whole series, including all the Rocky movies. I mean, it's a... It's a very good movie, and I think that he was the perfect director for that movie. I mean, he he nailed it as as well as you know, Black Panther is a top five MCU movie, maybe even higher than that, but for sure top five. Um, so yeah, Ron Coogler is um, really awesome, and I I look forward to seeing. I think the only thing he has in the works right now is Black Panther two, um, but you know that's going to be one of the most anticipated movies ever really i mean i, I, I touched on him a little bit because he's also there was a movie he made before freed it was very good and also very timely to what we're talking about it's called fruitvale station yeah i've heard it's a very good movie yeah it, it's 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 a movie that kind of deals with a lot of the similar themes that we're going to be talking about with this upcoming review so um it's a really great movie i think it was his first film before creed and um panther but yeah i agree with everything you guys said i haven't seen creed because i was never a big rocky fan but i'll check it out for sure now i did really enjoy black panther a lot he is um he is set to direct a movie called wrong answer um that comes out in it, it doesn't say when it comes out but it, lo- it looks like it's set for after black panther 2 which black panther 2 is set for 2022 so um Wrong Answer has is going to star Michael B. Jordan though, and it's going to be co-written by Rachel Aviv and Tanahasi. Or I, I can't, I can never remember if I say if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but uh, Tanahasi Coates, who's a very, um, uh, very well-known um, writer for like just African American culture in general, and um, that that that's going to be just looking at the cast and like writers and stuff. That's probably going to be really good. Um, but yeah. Um, Ryan Coogler definitely one of the one of the big ones there. And Cruz, uh, you said you had a few that you wanted to reel off. 
Oh yeah. Um, big one for me. I mean, there's a couple, um, that we could also name off again, just to name off a few, uh, e. Reese, she directed a film called Pariah, um, which is, uh, kind of, sim- I don't want to say similar to Moonlight cause I don't want to, you know, like try to, uh, take away from her film like that, even though it's came before Moonlight. Um, I just, but it's still like her own original movie. But it's about a, a young black girl who is uh, LGBTQ having to kind of deal with that. And she also did a much more popular film, Mudbound, which I'm sure more people are familiar with. Yeah, that that movie was on my list. That's that movie is incredible. It's Netflix original. Um, I, I oh, yeah, really I, really enjoyed that movie. I remember when that came out, you were you were pretty high on that. Uh, so I need to watch that. Um, let's see, what year? It came out in two thousand seventeen. I really, I really felt like that movie should have got uh, Oscar buzz. And I think Mary J. Blige did did receive some kind of recommendation. Yeah, she got a nomination. Yeah, she was yeah. nominated. I remember. I do remember that. Um, she probably deserved a win. I can't remember off the top of my head who who won that year, but uh, there weren't. I didn't see any better performances than what she gives in that movie. And there's a lot of great performances in that movie. I think who won 2017. Remember, it's been so long. I think it was uh, Frances McDormand won Best Actress. I think Best Supporting went to. Uh... Oh man, I don't remember. <laughs> I'll look it up and have an answer for us. Soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up. Um, but yeah, that uh, that movie's still on Netflix. Like I said, it's a, an original. Uh, you know, great cast. It was well directed. <clears throat> was really I, I can't think of any flaws for it. I I'm, I gave it a five. About a five immediately after watching it. I need to go back and revisit um, it. Honestly, because it's, it's been a while. The answer there is. Um... Alice and Janney won that year for I, Tanya. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I think, I think, you know, was a, you know, she definitely deserved to win. I, I haven't seen. Yeah, that was a good performance. I, I, I was a big fan of her performance in that movie. But, yeah, I, I would, um, I'll have to watch Mudbound. Um, I think the other, the other ones that year were, uh, that was a stacked, that was a, that was a really. 2017 uh, was a pretty big year for me. I think that's. The best mo- year for movies of the 2010 decade. Yeah, because you've got um, Octavia Spencer was in Shape of Water, got nominated. Laurie Metcalf was in Lady Bird, got nominated. Leslie Manville um, was in Phantom Thread, that got nominated. And then Mary J. Blige and Allison Janney. So that that is that is some stiff competition. So um, yeah, definitely a big time. Um, there was one other movie I wanted to mention that I'm not sure if you guys, well, there's a couple other ones, but, uh, one that I'm really gonna have trouble talking about it because it's such a, a, a wacky and weird movie, but, uh, sorry to bother you. I was about to mention that one. Yeah. Um, I was about Rich to Riley. Yeah. That movie is uh, crazy and I'm not sure that I fully understand everything about it. Um, I need to go watch it again, but I definitely, it's definitely an interesting movie. Uh, I love that movie. Matthew, have you seen it? No, I I remember I I wanted to see it and I just, I don't know what happened. I never, I never got around to it. Well, it never came to theaters around here. That was part of the problem. That's probably why. 
but I believe it, it came on Hulu at one point. It may already uh, be gone from there, but that's where I watched it. Um, I think it's still on Hulu. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out because, I mean, I know it has uh, Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. Um, and the premise of it did just look really, really, uh, really interesting. Yes, uh, that, would be, that would be a great movie to do for the podcast because there's a lot of stuff to talk about in that movie. You know, the, I remember seeing the trailer and thinking that looks good, but looks really weird. And then it's even weirder when you actually yeah, watch the movie. Weirder than the trailers made it out to be, and they made it out to be really weird. Oh wow, that's awesome! It's very good, though. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Uh, One person I wanted, I did want to mention too, because. Uh, like I was telling you guys, I, I never really think about like like who's my favorite like black director or favorite Hispanic director or anything like that. But if there was a director, if we were to do that, probably my favorite African American filmmaker. He's just one of my all time favorite filmmakers, and that's uh, Steve McQueen. Um, he's only put out four films, but I think they're all pretty great. Um, his most popular film is Twelve Years a Slave won Best Picture in 2013. Um, that film is brutal. It's one of the most brutal depictions of slavery, but it's just, I mean, it's, it is a very exhausting movie, but it is such a great movie, and it is, I, I mean, I think it's its another one of those movies where it's kind of up there in terms of, like, ordering Masterpiece, just in how well-made that movie is. It, um, it may be the best movie of uh, this decade. I mean, it has an argument in my opinion. For, yeah, for sure. I mean, it is an incredible film. Uh, his most recent film, although I do think it's his weakest movie, and it did disappoint me a little bit when it first came out, I've, it's since grown on me, but I do think it's his most flawed, and that's Widows. It is still very, very good. Um, I do think it's his most flawed movie, because I think he's trying to do a lot in that movie that it kind of overwhelms itself. But like I said, that movie still... There's there's stuff in that film that he does that just no director is doing right now from like just in terms of just how intelligent he is with like the medium. Yeah. But um the movie has his, some really good performances too. Yeah, it does. But his first two movies are also, in my opinion, like bordering masterpiece. Shame is an incredible film, one of Michael Fassbender's best performances, hands down. Um, it's about a, a, a sex addict. Then his first film, Hunger, which is probably my my overall favorite film from him, and also probably my favorite Michael Fassbender performance. Um, it it's been a little bit since I've seen it, so I kind of forget some of the actual history. I, I don't know if I'd be too accurate with the um, history, but it's a based on a true story about it was like maybe in the eighteen hundreds or the nineteen hundreds. I forget. Um, 19, late 19th century, mid 20th century, somewhere in there. But in Ireland, um, there's these the there goes a there's a hunger strike that the prisoners go on to um, to make a political statement against the current state of uh, Ireland's justice system, which in a way is kind of timely. It, it doesn't really delve in with race, but it does uh, cover kind of justice in our um, justice system so that movie is fantastic and that is to me one of the greatest debut films of all time the fact that you, you always know you have a, a phenomenal debut film when it feels like it's been made by someone who's been making films for 10 years. 
that's how assured and just like well crafted that movie is. I mean, it is insane, honestly. But yeah, he's one of my all time favorites. So there's not much else I can say as of right now. I mean, I give him the the highest praise because I mean, like he's he's one of the top top dogs to me. I mean, he's really up there. Yeah, I haven't seen his first two films, but um, I definitely need to check those out because uh, I, I'm twelve years twelve years a slave is definitely a masterpiece. And you know, you mentioned Widows. I think while I agree that Widows was flawed, it was still a very very good movie in my opinion. Oh, yeah, uh, movie. A little bit underrated at, at this point, I think. I don't. Yeah, I think it. I think it. It really kind of went under the um radar way too fast i mean you're coming it, off the hills of 12 years 12 years of slave i mean that's true that, you're gonna go down a little bit after that movie yeah that is true okay. but i, I think but it's i still consider him batting a, a four out of four so far i i don't i definitely don't consider widows a a a, a loss on his part yeah i'm definitely gonna have to check widows out um I was late to that party as well, but as I am with most things. But um, I remember being very interested uh, in the lead up to that, so I'm gonna have to give that a shot. And uh, one other film director that we haven't mentioned yet, and it's an obvious one, uh, Spike Lee. I mean, he's yeah, he's got I don't know how many movies he's directed at this point, um, but you know, all his movies are are all the ones that I've seen, and I, I man, I've seen. Uh, very few of his movies, but uh, the ones I have seen are really, really good. Um, I've seen he, he Got Game and Black Klansman. Um, I, the Five Bloods came out this week. I, I started it. I haven't got to finish it yet, but it looks very promising. And uh, one movie that I've always wanted to see of his, and I've just never been able to, it's never been on any streaming services. I haven't found it on DVD. And, I just haven't got around to watching it yet, but the, that's a do the right thing. Um, yeah. I've always hear a lot about that one, maybe being his best movie, and it's always, I, it's always really interesting me, and I just haven't got a chance to watch it. I'm not sure if if you guys have seen that one or not, but I, I've definitely heard about it, and you're right, it gets it gets talked about a lot, um, but I, I have not seen it either. I haven't gotten the chance to see it, but also uh, a movie of his that's very timely and strongly considered one of his best is now streaming on Netflix, and that's Malcolm X. Oh yeah, I did see. It. I did see where that was on Netflix. I haven't seen that, but it's it's definitely a longer one. It's like three hours and twenty minutes, so it's like definitely more. Yeah. Uh, it requires a lot more patience, but all his films are very long. Um, that's true. Yeah, he's not. He's definitely not a, a short. Short filmmaker, which I mean, that's not a critique. I mean, you know, if you can, if it has a long runtime, but it's justified, you know, in the hands of a director like Spike Lee. I mean, all the movies I've seen of his, the runtime is justified. So um, that's definitely, it's definitely not a complaint or anything. I definitely agree. Also, there's Ava. I I was hoping one of you guys would say her because I was afraid I might butcher her name. I think it's like Ava. Very something oh, like that. Well, that did remind me of Ava DuVernay, but go ahead. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Were you, uh, no, yeah, no. You, you, you can go ahead. I'm sorry. I forgot. Well, no, it's not even a big deal. I completely forgot. Um, I had her name written down and everything. 
um, Ava DuVernay, I believe that's how you pronounce her name. Uh, but she was she uh, kind of came on the scene uh, for. I mean, she's been making stuff for a long time, but um, she produced uh, Selma uh, from 2014, and she put out um, the When They See Us documentary about the Central Park Five that came out last year. Um, she also directed um, A Wrinkle in Time from 2018, which I think was kind of bad. But uh, other than that, uh, she also made um, 13th which came out in 2016, another uh, documentary just about like the impact of systemic racism um, and like the prison system in general and how it affects um, African-Americans. But the When They See Us and 13th, those have been, you've probably seen those, you know, been recommended a lot this past week um, because of just how powerful they are. Uh, And I I need to get around to uh, watching uh, 13th. Like I said, came out in 2016, but She's um she's one of the best um, uh, black creators we have right now as well. Uh, but who who are you going to say? Oh um, I did want to say one last person um because they're one of the in my opinion one of the most talented people in general, and they go beyond film, and that's Donald Glover. Um, I know that he's known for being a singer and an actor, but he did create Atlanta, and I think Atlanta. It's one of the best TV shows ever made. Uh, I felt that way from the minute I watched it. I'm biased because I've been a fan of both Community and uh, Otis Gambino since I was, you know, in middle school. But Atlanta is one of just this. It's so smart and so surreal, and there's just so many moments where you're just like, oh wow, I, I would never be clever enough to do something as creative and smart as that. So, I mean, Donald Glover, I think, definitely deserves. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I'm when we were making these lists, my mind was just totally on movies. But I completely agree. Atlanta is um, is just absolutely amazing. The only complaint I have about it is that there's too long in between seasons. I mean, there's like we have to wait so long to get a new season. It seems like that it's just it, it kind of kills me a little bit. But they make but, you wait. But like. There's, I have no actual complaints about the show. Um, you know, I think the, I think the second season is actually a little bit better than the first season. There's nothing wrong with the first season, but I agree. Really they iconic can't. stuff in the second season, uh, with you know, the, of course, there's the Teddy Perkins episode. I was about to say that Teddy Perkins episode is one of the best episodes in like television. And then also the. Uh, the one where Paperboy goes to goes to the barber shop. Um, <laughs> he's just, or he's trying to go to the barber shop. I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, that was one of my favorite episodes. And there was one other really, really good one from season two that I can't, I can't think of right off the top of my head. But I think there's um, Gator Man. That one's great. I am excited that they finally. I think he announced that the new season three is going to come out in 2021. I believe hey, now there's only going to be four seasons too. Well, that's disappointing. I, I want <laughs> bad news. Bad news. Yeah, it's going to be only four seasons. But but also it's it's kind of like that Breaking Bad thing. I'd rather Atlanta like Breaking Bad and like kind of end your show when you know it's a good time instead of being like The Walking Dead and just keep it going way too long. Yeah, that's. That's true. And Cruz, there's one scene uh, from the first season I 
that always kind of sticks with me. Uh, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it. It's, and it's not really spoiling anything, but the scene where he's uh, riding the bus and there's basically just this stranger beside him and he he has this conversation about, or Donald Glover's character brings up the fact that he just feels like he keeps losing and like he just, he poses the question of uh, whether there's people just put on the earth to make it make it easier for the uh, other people to be successful. Do you do you remember anything about that scene? I'm I'm just curious. Cause I remember the gist of that scene. I, I don't remember it enough to go into great detail, but that I mean that very thing he said. Those themes have been touched on in the show. Like one of the most I mean, what to me one of the best episodes of the first season. It was one of those episodes where I feel like it's hard. It it it, it was one of the more underappreciated ones because it kind of doesn't hit you at first until you really think about it. But the episode where needs money and Darius is like, Hey man, like I have like, I forget if it's a sword. It's like, I've got this sword I can sell and it'll make you like $6,000. He's like, all right, fine. I really need this money though. And Darius like makes him go through like this rabbit hole of just like all this stuff. Then he finally, um, finally finds out that Darius was basically like using that stuff to make an investment so he's like, well, where's my money? He's like, you'll get your six grand in like like three months. And he's like, dude, I don't have three months. And he's like, you're going to make six grand. And he's like, it's called investing. And he's like, poor people don't have time to invest. And it's like it's one of those things where it doesn't hit you until you really think about it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, people always tell, uh, kind of just like disregard the struggle of, of, you know, kind of being poor. And when they're like, you know, well, you should be better with your money and invest, but people don't think of when you're kind of in this, you know, in this kind of cycle of poverty. It's kind of hard to, you know, the money, the little money you make is the money you have to use to survive for like your family and yourself. It's kind of hard to invest. I thought I just thought that was a really poignant part they yeah, hit. That, that is. I, I remember that episode. Of, um, it was really powerful. Um, and it, you know, it just really kind of hammers home the fact that the concept of bootstrapping, like just working your way to the top, it does not work. And it's, you know, in, in theory, you can say that, but it's just not realistic. And um, Matthew, I know you haven't seen the show. Um, you, you you definitely need to watch it. Well, yeah, I definitely need to. And it, like I always say, I think my, my list is kind of infamous at this point of things that I haven't watched, but it is indeed on the list of things that i have to watch uh, i would i would put it in more of a priority category i mean it's definitely one thing that i've never heard anybody say a crossword about um but i mean on on that note you guys were talking about i mean it's the famous martin luther king quote i mean it's all right to tell a man to lift himself up by his own bootstraps but it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself up by his own bootstraps uh so yeah. i feel like uh i feel like i would definitely enjoy it um, so I, I need to make time for it pretty soon, especially, uh, you know, given given the current um, current climate of everything. I feel like it would definitely be a good watch. Sure, yeah, no, it's it's really worth it. Like I said, I'm really bad about TV shows because I'll start them and I just get really bad at finishing them. And like, mm-hmm. I know it's two seasons, but that's a show. It's like I put it on. It's like I'm not going anywhere until I finish. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. That's why, I mean, 
Jake can tell you, I mean, it took me like two and a half years to watch Mad Men, even though I ended up really loving it. Um, I, I would just, I don't know. I think, I think I've always been hesitant to watch things because I'm afraid that I guess subconsciously that if I spend time watching it, I might not like it or, or that if I, if I do finish watching it, like what happens if I get to the end and I don't like it? Um, you know, cause TV shows are much different than movies. I'm sorry. What? I said Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, I mean Game of Thrones. Yeah, no, I came into Game of Thrones, that dude. Was living, that was the living uh, realization of, of the feelings that I have. Uh, but luckily, I didn't watch Game of Thrones from the inception. I, I caught on late, so I got to watch most of it in a good, in a concentrated period of time. But um, yeah, that's kind of been my whole thing because TV shows are much different, obviously, because it's long form, uh, and you know you have time to develop these relationships with characters. And if you don't, um, if you get a certain ways into it and you find yourself, you know, not feeling that, you know, connection, then, I mean, you kind of just wasted your time. Uh, even though there's most shows that I'm sure that I would love, but I still am just stubborn and won't start, but that's, that's kind of a tangent, but Donald Glover in general, I mean, I don't, I don't want to turn this into a Donald Glover episode, but I mean, it really is incredible when you consider just how diversified of a portfolio Donald Glover has. I mean, obviously, I mean, he was hired when he was 23 years old to be a writer for 30 Rock, which is, I don't know if you guys have watched 30 Rock, but it's a very, you know, very tightly written and funny show. Uh, so to be hired, you know, at 23 to do that. And then obviously, I mean, he has been in, Star Wars movie, you know, he's a voice actor in The Lion King. He was on Community, which I still have not watched, but I know is great. He's and, so good. Uh, <laughs> you know, created Atlanta, which you guys have said is, you know, really, really good. And he's obviously an accomplished, you know, musical artist, made one of the greatest songs of all time, uh, Redbone. Um, and, I mean, he, he only has one, but, I mean, he, he made a stand-up special that's really funny. So, I mean, I, it's just, I don't know. It, it's... It's not a lot. It's not every day that you just come across somebody that has this much talent and has done this much in such a short period of time. I mean, he's only thirty six years old, so I mean, he's he's gonna be he's gonna be creating a lot of uh, great content for. Uh, I think it's also important to you know mention the music video for "This Is America." Yeah. Oh yeah, that was great too. Um, sadly, true. it's still very very relevant. Yeah, his his new album was great. I feel like his new album kind of went off under the radar because of how weird the the like, promotion and the build up and the the rollout to the album was. But it was still a great album. Yeah, I liked it. Uh, I need to go back and listen to it again. But there's a there's one song on there that I kind of listened to a whole lot, but the rest of them I haven't um, you know listened to as much. I need to give it another chance. It's it's definitely one of his grower albums. It's like when I first heard it, I was like, "This is good." I was like, "Probably not one of my favorites." And although I still probably wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, that's just more of a testament to how good I think his work overall is. But it is it, it does grow on you really well. It ages pretty good. Well, I'll have to check it out again. Well, you know that's um, definitely a lot of great uh, content creators and directors and filmmakers in general. Um, that you guys need to check out if you have not. Um, but I think it's about that time to uh, transition into the movie for this week. Are you guys ready to talk about Monsters and Men? 
Yeah, well, this is real quick. This is uh, this is also made by a black filmmaker. Oh yeah, so. of course, definitely. Um, um, and, we, and we can, you know, I, you know, I know there's usually a little transition, but I mean, I think uh, given given you know what we've already discussed, I mean, I think we can just kind of roll right into it. Um, if that's okay with you guys. Yeah, I'm ready. Yeah. I just wanted to say though before we go into this movie. Um, I, I know I know it's a no-brainer for us, but I know that sometimes it comes into question. But you know, we are we can understand that a movie has an important message, and then still, you know, like criticize any things that we feel like aren't you know uh, done very well. So any any praise, like if we praise anything about the movie, it, it's not it's not just because we feel like we need to, given the the subject matter. If we have an issue with something that this movie does, then we're going to say it. We, we would never just raise it just because we feel like we're obligated to. So Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I did, I did really enjoy this film. Um, but I, I can I, tell from when we first talked about it, I enjoyed it more than all of you guys. So I was going to use that as a disclaimer. Yeah, and I just wanted to say, because me and Jake did discuss this a little bit before we started recording. Um, you know, there are things that I, I think that it doesn't do well from just a general film perspective, but at the same time, the message that it's getting across, I think is done so well that I don't really, I don't mind it at all. Like it, it, because the, the core, the core message is kind of the whole reason, uh, the, the whole, um, I guess what makes the film attractive in, in the first place, because I I do think it, it, it is a, it, it does its job very, very well. And while there are certain things that I would criticize from a filmmaking perspective, don't don't take that to mean that I, I think that any less of what the film is trying to accomplish. Yeah, so I'm glad you did say that. Uh, but but you know, just to kind of kick it off, like I, I did watch it just today before we started recording. Um, I didn't know much going into it outside of just the general. Um, IMDb summary, um, but I, I really did enjoy it uh, overall. I thought the, all the performances were, you know, really grounded in, in reality, and I felt like I was watching, you know, real people. And I, I think uh, owing the humanity of each of its characters and presenting, you know, real, you know, tangible issues that affect, you know, people of color and and Black Americans. Um, so I was really, I was really pleased with it, and I think, um, you know, we're definitely going to get into the messages and themes. Um, that'll be the bulk of what we talk about. But I do want to just go ahead and get it out there that, despite you know, a few complaints I have from like a structural point of view, the film itself, you know, really, really connected with me and really, really spoke to me in a profound way. Yeah, I, I agree. And one thing I, you know, we usually talk about the acting and the characters. First, and that's one thing that kind of stood out to me is this movie was well, really well acted, in my opinion. Obviously, it has John David Washington, um, but also, you know, two other main characters are played by Anthony Ramos and Kelvin Harrison Jr., which, uh, you know, those maybe aren't recognizable names right now, but, you know, I really started looking at, uh, especially Kelvin Harrison Jr. I didn't realize how many things that he's been in that I've seen. And, you know, he's really kind of a up and coming actor. He's only 25, uh, but he, 
you know, he had a small role in Mudbound. He had a small role in 12 Years a Slave. Um, he was in Waves, which I haven't seen yet, but it is towards the top of my list. And he's he also is phenomenal in Waves. He is so fantastic in that. Really? Oh, yeah. And he's also going to be in the upcoming The Trial of the Chicago 7 movie. Uh, this he's also going to be in Euphoria Season 2. I didn't know that. It comes yeah, he got it now. And also, he's in It Comes at Night, which he's, yeah. he's incredible in that movie. Yeah, too. I forgot about that one. And then uh, Anthony Ramos, um, you know, I, I thought he was really good. He's kind of he kind of leads the movie off in the opening segment, and you know, I don't think he's been in quite as many things as the other two. Obviously, not as much as John David Washington, but um, you know, it says that looking at his his roles, he says that he was in A Star Is Born, which I yeah, mean, he I, he looked familiar, and I was like, what has he been in? And then I realized he is um he's um, yeah, but Lady Gaga's uh, friend. Okay. That now? I, I do remember that, yeah. So I said, I might not narrow it down because I think she had a lot of friends in that movie, but the, the main popular friend. Yeah. No, I remember 100% now that you say that. He was also in Godzilla King of the Monsters. And Oh, yeah, I, he was, wasn't he? And he, he's also in the Hamilton play, apparently. Um, oh, that's big time. Yeah. Well, I agree about the performances. I think the performances are across the board fantastic. Um, even with John David Washington, like, I already thought John David Washington was, like, an already incredible actor. Um, especially coming off of Black Klansman, but I mean, this yeah. film, he, he is. That, oh, man. I guess we'll get more into it when we really start getting into our opinions on the movie. I can already tell from when we were talking a little bit earlier that I definitely enjoyed this movie the most out of us because I actually really, really loved this movie. I was shocked. Uh, I had read the review, some of the reviews, because I noticed it was a little bit divisive in terms of like, General audience scores. I think it has like a five point seven on IMDb. It has like a three point three on Letterboxd. Um. So I was wondering, and although I do understand the criticisms of the film, for me, I had no personal issues with this movie. It's I got, love it. It's got an eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and, and I do. Yeah, critics, critics loved it. I mean, I meant more audiences. It was yeah. very divisive. Seventy four percent Rotten Tomatoes audience score, which is still pretty respectable on Rotten Tomatoes. And, and I pretty- do want to say, I, I, I um, while I do have like, uh, I, I have one pretty clear complaint about just the structure of the the plot in general, but. Outside of that, I mean, I, I was I was very impressed with this movie. I don't I don't want that to get twisted. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, and like I said, I think the whole way through, it kind of just you know, I wouldn't say it's bleak, but the whole movie, I was I was involved and invested from in an emotional perspective, just because of, I mean, personally, and not to get you know too deep right off the start, but. Really, the whole thing I kept thinking about throughout this movie is, you know, these experiences that we're seeing, you know, are things I'm never, I'm never going to have to worry about as a as a white person. Uh, and I think that, you know, 
seeing how well acted and well executed these, you know, scenes are with each of these three, you know, kind of separate um, acts with each of these characters. Um, it was really just, you know, it did have a pr profound emotional effect on me. Uh, just, you know, seeing how each of their kind of conflicts came to, came to resolutions. But uh, yeah, I, I was, I'm a big fan. Um, so I definitely just wanted to make that known. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say about it, and we you've kind of touched on it, that you know this movie really has three three different arcs following or overlapping arcs following three different characters, and it all kind of revol revolves around the you know the one police murder that happens early in the movie. Um, but one of the complaints that I really read about the a movie that a lot of people had was that for each one of these storylines, there's really no payoff. But for me, that was one of the more effective parts about the movie because oh, I would disagree. I feel like there is payoff. I just think it's a more realistic one. Well, yeah. See, that's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. There's no payoff on, in my opinion, because all these issues that this movie explores are still not resolved in today's society. Like all these, it was a very realistic way to make the movie there being no payoff is because there's no payoff in real life because these issues still happen over and over and over again. And we're, this movie came out two years ago. It was it 2018, I believe. Yeah. And we're still dealing with the same exact things happening over and over again, the same exact issues with no, there's been nothing done to you know resolve these issues and that the movie really, really lays out there for us. So to me, that was one of the better things about that this movie is that you know there's not a, really a, a a true payoff to the end of each storyline. So I don't know how you guys feel about that, but yeah, no, I, I I that's see that's kind of like the flip side of the coin of what my only real complaint is because my complaint is from strictly a film narr film and narrative point of view. Um, you know, I definitely think that. Um, each arc has a payoff. I, st I still think that, but I do think that just as a film, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more cohesion between each arc with Manny's character and then Dennis played by, you know, John David Washington. Um, and then I can't remember the name of uh, what his character's name, Zurich in the movie. I, I just think that I think they feel too separate. I know they're all linked by the same, you know, like the, the murder at the beginning of the film, but I don't know. I, I just think that it kind of feels, it makes the movie feel like less than a movie. It makes it feel more just like this is a, you know, almost like a project kind of, kind of thing, but it's not really fair to say because each arc I do think is, has resolution and has a payoff. And that payoff is that, like you said, Jake, I mean, it's, it's real. There, there's no payoff and there's no happy ending because, you know, we as a society have not, we haven't found the happy ending yet. So why should a movie, you know, lie? Why I would have, I would have felt cheated if the movie gave us some sort of, you know, fairy tale, you know, resolution to each one, each, um, each art, because that's, that's one of the, I wrote a few notes down for, you know, some of the things I liked about it. I mean, each of these arcs, it, it's a real uh, it's it's something real that people of color and you know black Americans you know have to deal with. I mean it's a and I'll get into this more 
later on. But, you know, it's that constant, you know, internal struggle of, you know, wanting to wanting to do right by people that are affected by these issues and also having to choose between pursuing justice and, you know, protecting your own interests and your own, you know, friends, family, uh, and well-being. Uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely think that while I think that from just a general viewing perspective, it might make the film seem disjointed, I think each arc is still executed very well from a thematic point of view. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I, I do have the same complaint that you have. Um, I feel like it could have done, been done a little more effectively and it'd been a little bit smoother and maybe connected in more ways than um, what it actually does in the movie. And I think that, you know, just as a movie, I think that it kind of is knocked down a notch just as a movie. But, you know, like like you said, the message is still clear and it's still effectively portrayed. Um, and, you know, I don't really... It's, I, I, although I think it could have done, been done a little bit better, it's still done really well. Yeah, and I don't want to sound superficial, like because on the one hand, I know I did say that each arc is effectively, you know, completed and communicated. And I think I don't I'm not trying to say that they should have been connected in a more cohesive way to make me feel better or have like a, a narrative connection uh, that makes for like a more traditional, I guess, plot. I, I just mean from a simple, you know, the, the resolution of each arc could have stayed the same. Uh, I don't think that should have changed. Obviously, I just I think um, from just a flow a flow perspective uh, that that's kind of my only complaint but it's not to say that i i think it should have uh compromised the the vision or the uh, effect of each scene or each art chris do you have anything you want to add oh uh, well yeah like i said i mean it's one of those things where like I, I i actually i understand like i think these are very valid criticisms i didn't it just didn't feel that way personally for me um, I, I liked the flow of it. I liked that. I liked that. Um, I liked how each character, um, would be introduced earlier. Um, and I like how there were certain characters that, uh, also helped connect in a way. I mean, it, it is a very loose connection. Um, but I think that's also kind of the, once again, kind of the point of how, like, in the wake of this tragedy, because that's what I really wanted to get at. And I think what I love the most about this movie, um, and I think that hands down the best thing about this movie, I would argue it, it's it's of, a, of all the movies, especially of that time, 2018 especially, because that's when you had, like, Sorry to Bother You and Black Klansman and stuff like that. I think this is one of the most nuanced and subtle takes on like this subject matter i mean it hits from a lot of different perspectives and it there are just so many scenes where it's able to communicate perfectly something like this message and this feeling and it never beats you over the head with it similar to moonlight that's what i loved about moonlight is there's so many scenes where it will say so much in a scene by doing so little. It's just it's, they just know how to do it. And I think this movie does that a lot. Uh, I guess we'll kind of go more into each story vignette as it like in order. I guess if y'all want to, but 
the opening scene alone. I mean, that opening scene where where John David Washington is being pulled over, and just like his face, um, and you you come to realize that a big problem he has with it because when you first watch it, it's and that's another thing that I like too is that it takes perspectives that we don't really think about a lot, especially in these situations. I mean, we have situations where I mean, like we don't really think about, um the more humanistic side of the cops. And I'm not saying that that like excuses like police brutality, but you know, like this really takes like characters that usually in these films are just the straight up bad guys in these stories. And they really put a lot of like humanity and conflict into them. And especially through John David Washington's character, um, because you come to find out, cause at first, like you're kind of like, well, why was he even like upset? Like, he had nothing to worry about. He's a police officer. He's fine. Like he's he's you know considered safe. But then just later on, um, when he talks about like I've been pulled over six times this this year, and you've been pulled over zero times to so like his his white cop partner, and it's like it's like to me that just builds so much into the conflict of his character in like such a kind of like subtle but profound way of being like you know that he understands. Like he's not like he's lying to himself, but he's also very well aware of like the the uh, racial bias and corruption within the within the force. And I guess it's more to get into history when we get there. I guess we can start off with uh, uh, I believe Manny's character. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be the name of the actor, but the first story, I guess, because that's even though that's the opening with John David Washington, it kind of goes into a different story, but. I thought I thought there were just so many scenes that we'll go into where like it it just says so many profound things in such a clever and, and mature way. Yeah, and I th- I definitely think that scene is, and obviously we should have already said, but I mean we will have spoiler tags in the description. But you know this is not really a huge spoiler at all because you find out in the very opening scene. But I I knew going into it that John David Washington was playing a cop. Uh, but I would say I will say that for someone, I feel like if you went into the movie and you didn't know that, the scene would definitely have had a bigger impact. See, me the whole time, I did know he was a cop. I still got the intended message, like I knew I knew what um, it was trying to communicate. But I did, you know, knowing he was a cop, I kind of just was waiting for the reveal of him to. I was wondering how he would how he would show us that he was a cop. So, um, but it's still still a very effective scene. Um, and you are right. His name in the movie is Manny. Um, his opening arc. Um, some things I, I just want to hit on. I, I like one of the best things about this movie is how each character is kind of like a. They each have their own internal conflict between, you know, who they are in society versus you know. Versus the perception of, from for, versus outside perception and how they know that they're seen by you know you know, white people or white people in power or police in this case. Um, and I, I won't, I won't, you know, do my whole thing right here, but basically it reminded me a lot of uh, W.E.B. Du Bois' writing about um, double consciousness. Um, he covered this, he first talked about it in his work from 1903 called The Souls of Black Folk. And the reason I, I like this movie a lot and what I think it does so well is because it kind of lives, each of these characters are really just 
textbook examples of this concept. And the concept is basically that, you know, since black people have lived in this country, they've been repressed and devalued in every facet of life. And it's almost impossible for them to join their black consciousness with an American conscious conscience. And that the plot that they've experienced not only, you know, forces them to view themselves from their own perspective as individuals, but also from the perspective of those in the outside world, AKA, you know, the white perspective. Um, so it kind of leads to black people suffering in Dubois words, not mine, uh, leads to, Black people suffering from a damaged self-image um, that's shaped by the perceptions and treatment that they get from, you know, those in power. Um, and argues, Dubois argued that this internal conflict also, you know, prevents most black people from reconciling their own identity as black people and American citizens, respectively. Uh, so to say, you know, to kind of condense all that, all all three of these characters illustrate this concept to me. You know, they're constantly having to choose between you know, what they know is right and what they know is, you know, respect, you know, what they know is right by their own people. And then also they have, but they also have to act, you know, out of turn in accordance with the society that they're in. So um, I, I definitely, I wanted to go ahead and get that out of the way because that is one of my favorite things about the movie is that it shows, how, it shows perspectives that me, you know, someone like me is never going to have to, um, you know, have exposure to, uh, basically that each character has these internal conflicts that I would never have to consider the ramifications. Like if something was wrong, if someone, you know, if someone committed such an injustice against someone I knew, I would have no hesitation trying to, you know, right that wrong. But each of these characters, as we see, um, you know, have, have a, a lot of factors and a lot of decisions that go into, uh, something that, someone like me would probably have originally said, Oh, well, I don't see, I don't see how there's the conflict here, but that's, that's why I like uh, each of these characters. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I think it definitely fits, you know, um, we're talking about, you know, our first character, um, Manny, that we, the, that first arc that we follow from him, you know, he has all these concerns that just by simply speaking up or not speaking up, but, you know, revealing the video uh, that he took of the, the police murder that happened. You know, he's worried that he had just got a job. He's going to lose his job or what eventually actually does happen to him is he gets arrested on, you know, pretty much just false, uh, false charges. Um, but so basically he loses, he, he knows by just simply doing the right thing and posting the video that he could risk losing everything. And he ultimately does. And, you know, he's separated from his family. He has no way, he has no way to provide for his uh, girlfriend and their young daughter. And, uh, you know, that's sadly, it's very, very real, realistic. and something that we see happen or uh, something that happens in the real world all the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that's why it's so profound is because he, it's not like the, the, the conflict isn't, oh, he should come forward and tell somebody what happened. I mean, he has video documented proof of what happened and he still is conflicted on what to do. And I think that's just shows how, you know, powerful of a, you know, an effect it has on him and people, people like him in the real world, because I mean, it's one thing to just 
have seen something wrong, but he had actual video and was still hesitant um, for, for good reason, as we saw. You know, he's but and before he ever posts the video, he's approached by the two cops that we see throughout each uh, throughout each arc, and uh, you know they don't, they basically they basically threaten him that they know what kind of evidence he has, and uh, they threaten if he if they basically just tell him to stay quiet, and um, you know by refusing to do that, then there's going to be consequences and. You know that actually happens, which is sad. But, yeah. Uh, Cruz, do you have anything you'd like to add? Uh, no. I mean, you guys pretty much. I think that was really great. Um, you guys killed it on that one. Um, there's not much I have to add to it, mainly because, like I said, I love all three. I think all three stories were great, but. Um, I got more out of the two stories that come after this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing I can add to this that you guys haven't already covered. Um, other than, I mean, it, it does show like, just it, it shows a really you know, dark side of our um, justice system, our police force. I mean, it's supposed to be the people who protect us and they will fully and pretty much ruin the lives of people and, they fear, you know, these like fear tactic games with people just to save their own reputation, uh, which is really dark. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I, I do agree. I think the the latter two arcs, I, I definitely had more connection with, um, you know, and mainly just, you know, Dennis, played by John David Washington, I think is kind of the highlight of the, I know it's the middle arc, but it is kind of, to me, one of the better just representations of the, the systemic problems in general. Uh, He's black and he's playing a policeman, but I mean, there's so much to get into uh, with just his performance, which is great. And how, you know, how he views himself as, you know, is he, is he a black, like I said, the double consciousness aspect, is he a, a black man? first is he a cop first and i we see him you know the very idea that those things have to be mutually exclusive is indicative of the problem as a whole so i mean just to see to see that be played out on screen is is very powerful for sure i I also agree this the second part was uh definitely the part i found the most effective and now this movie it really does a good job of showing the conflict like you said matthew in uh, John David Washington's character, um, obviously he he realizes that you know what has happened and what happens all over the world or all over the country is wrong. These things happen all the time. He's been on the other end of it. He he knows what's going on, but also there's that part of him that's that's a cop and he's uh, you know he's loyal to other cops. And to me, that's the I mean, that's the biggest problem with the system that we have is, you know, ultimately this character, in my mind, he chooses to side with the cops. And, uh, you know, people people inside the institution continue to uh, turn their head on and protect these people that are doing wrong. And it's just caused, you know, the complete decay of the institution. 
Um, and, you know, we, we see it today. I mean, everything going on today is the perfect indicator of that, that, you know, instead of, instead of speaking up when you see injustice, by simply turning your head and refusing to acknowledge it, you're, you're complicit in what's going on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the reason we find ourselves in this situation because there is no reform because there's no eternal internal acknowledgement acknowledgement within the institution that there's something wrong going on, even though they know there's wrong things going on. Nobody's been willing to speak up and really and really make a change there. And until that happens, you know, hopefully that'll happen sooner rather than later. But until that happens, you know, we're really not going to see any any real change in the way that uh, the police and go about their go about their day and their business and you know it's something that really needs to be fixed yeah very well said um one thing i wanted to ask about with his character and you you kind of touched on it by saying you know he's motivated by his loyalty to the police i kind of had a different take on that um and i wanted to know how you guys felt about it um see Starting, I guess, with the dinner scene where he and uh, his friend uh, kind of have that argument or like or the heat, heated discussion. Um, you know, I kind of view it as he himself. He, like I said, we see multiple times where he knows that there are issues. He knows that he's being profiled himself, even though he's a cop, and he sees, you know, cops, you know, taking advantage of you know, black kids in the neighborhood. And so it's understood to us and communicated to us that he, he knows, like you said, that there's issues. Um, and I didn't think, I didn't really see it as him being his eventual siding with the police and institution. I didn't see it as him being loyal to maybe his, his police, like counterpart, his cop counterparts. I sort of saw it like the argument, the argument scene at, at dinner, I kind of saw as, he he's being overly defensive because if he if he in that moment admits to the problems that she's talking about then at that moment he becomes it's almost like he's you know implicated with them he's part of the problem so i think that right there it wasn't necessarily that he truly feels loyal to the system i think it's more so of you know just him feeling the self doubt of well i know there's these issues but if i if i you know, vocalize them to people outside of the system, then how does it make me look? It makes me look like a, a villain. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And I think that that's why eventually when he goes and gets interviewed by the, um, you know, the investigator for the, you know, I think that same motivation is there because if he, if he speaks up, even in that moment, it's been so long and he's had so many complaints on his file, the other cop, I mean, that, at that point, if he speaks up, I feel like his character in that moment, he doesn't really care about the other cops. He's more so doing it because he feels shame of how he's, you know, handled it to begin with. And I feel like I feel like he's motivated more so by shame rather than loyalty. But I was wanting to know what you guys felt uh, or if you guys had any thoughts on that. I, I, I agree with that. But to me, that doesn't really change the change anything i mean whatever his motivation is there you know and obviously this is just a movie but you know that motivation doesn't change what actually happens i mean he should by he still doesn't speak up 
he still doesn't, you know, reveal all that he knows. He he's kind of unwilling to really help that in, the internal investigator, and you know, by doing that, then he's he's enabling what's going on. And you know, I, I yeah, that's definitely true. I just think that I guess it's more so about the portrayal of a black individual in the system. I, I yeah, the means are obviously the same. You know, corruption is still going on. I I just think that. I guess the intended effect was probably, you know, to show that conflict of having a, you know, being a black person in this equation, uh, in, in the cop, uh, in the police system. So yeah, you're definitely right about that. I mean, the 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 same end gets gets ha- or happens, but yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Cruz, did you have something you wanted to add? Uh, yeah, I took it as like I took his motivation being a couple things. I think I do think that Matthew hit a good point on shame. Like you know, there have been a lot of uh, testimonies in which there have been black police officers who become police officers because they hope to change the system uh, because they're like, well, if I can come in and I can be that beacon of hope. And I think like part of it is he went into this job to make change and give a better uh, kind of create a better perception of the police. Cause I mean, you kind of see that when he, when he goes to play basketball with the kids, like he's, he's trying to, he's trying to like, you know, be almost like what we're supposed to, what the police are supposed to be like heroes, like people that protect us and also like are part of the community. I think he really tries that. And I think just, he sees everyone so ready to point out the flaws and just completely give up on the system as a whole. That, that does make him also kind of, um, that makes him very uh, defensive because he, I think he doesn't, I think he deep down knows that like the system is corrupt, but he doesn't want to believe it. Like he doesn't want to accept that it's too far gone. But then he also like, shows hints of the fact that he does genuinely think like he does understand how corrupt everything is, especially to me, one of the best moments um, when he just kind of, that shows like this underlying fear. And that's what I was going to get to is I also think he's scared. I, I think he's scared that um, he's scared that when I think he's scared to report on things because he could, it could risk his job. I mean, it kind of shut it subtly, shows um him kind of getting like these looks from the police officers who are kind of like all right you're black so are you going to report this they kind of bring him into question on that um and then you've got just the growing kind of public tensions uh there's the whole thing when his son is wearing the police shirt um and he's like i don't want him wearing that it's like it's it's a you know, parent appreciation day at school. And he's like, I don't want him wearing that. It's like this fear that I think motivates him a lot too. Um, and I think it also delves into a big problem is that a lot of these police officers are scared to report this stuff because they'll be fired. Hey, we want to go back to Dave Chappelle. I think a lot of what Dave Chappelle said in that special is provided in this, in this vignette in his story. Um, Dave Chappelle brings up the, I forget his name now, the police officer that reported his partner using excessive force. He was fired and and they made it to where no matter what process he went through, he couldn't get his job back. You know, like, this is, this is real. Like, it's, it's one of those things too. Like, 
he's not safe. I think it shows that thing that he's not safe as a cop, which goes back to it. Like he thought, you know, you're kind of led to believe at first, like, well, why was he even upset when he got pulled over? Like he's a cop, he's safe, but you're really not safe. I mean, he he would he would never be in the situation like a like you know a George Floyd or anything like that as a police officer, but like he has to watch his people or not his people. He has to watch people of his color be killed and discriminated against and he can't report it. And I think that really eats at him a lot. Um, and I think that kind of is one of the bigger points they're trying to put forth um, is, is that kind of bigger conflict that he has. And another thing that it shows in that too, though, in his story that Dave Chappelle touches on is that, these police officers, they don't under and I, I'm I'm scatterbrained. I'm really bad because I didn't write anything down. I never do, so I know I'm jumping around. But I think one of the biggest issues we have today, um, if anything, is I don't think enough people respect the grief of African Americans. Like someone dies, and a lot of people just are kind of apathetic. They're rather they they write just this weightless, you know, pretentious Twitter post about how awful this is, but I mean, they don't really do anything other than that. That's kind of just their you know, I'm a progressive person, pat myself on the back. You see a lot of that. You see a lot of people just thinking like, well, I'm going to post my Twitter thing for the day about how awful systemic racism is, and I'm going to go back and watch my TV because I did my job for the day. Like, that's very much a thing, and mm-hmm. you also have um, I People who are so quick to say, well, George Floyd actually was a drug addict who got arrested. Like any time like an African-American is killed from excessive force, like everyone, uh, certain groups of people are so quick to, to find like like a, a criminal past or like, you know, like them doing illegal activity beforehand years ago as if that justifies them being murdered. Like yeah. no one, and, and then also, once again, you see racial injustice – for decades, longer than decades. I mean, we're just saying now. I mean, we have seen pretty much racial injustice towards African Americans, specifically, you know, since the since the beginning of this country. You know, in the development of this country, and we have it to this day. And when people protest and riot, there's so many people quick to shoot it down. When they do peaceful protest, everyone's so quick to go, "Well, this is disrespectful to our country. We have people who fight for this country." when it boils into more violent protests, more, you know, riots, then everyone goes, well, why did they not do the peaceful protests? We can't respect, you know, this violence, even though they, you know, were quick to shoot down peaceful protests. It, no one respects the grief of the African-American community. They have to, they feel like genuine targets and like the one, <laughs> like a system that is supposed to protect them is, you know, a really a, a threat to them in, in their mind. Like they feel feel they do not feel safe by the people who are supposed to make everyone feel safe and anytime you have to watch you know someone who shares their same skin color get murdered sometimes in the most morbid and disturbing ways look at george floyd it's like no there it never feels like enough people care like i just i'm not going to go over it again but you have people trying to you know either completely like disregard their grief or, you know, pretend to care, but not really care. That's just such an issue we have. And I think Dave Chappelle hits on a big point when he talks about how can these police officers 
not understand, you know, that, you know, we are grieving and a police officer is killed and you have these memorials for them and like uh, hundreds and hundreds of cops showing up. And you see that at the very end, like no one cared in this, in this movie. Like none of the cops cared about the, the young, the young black man who dies in the film. Like even one of the, on David Washington's partner, the cop partner, she's like, like, you don't think this is messed up? And it's like, oh, she, he shouldn't have resisted arrest. And then a police officer is killed later on in response. And like, there's this huge funeral. They're all grieving. They're all standing in one room with the person giving a speech about how their grief matters. And, you know, they're, they're having these big ceremonies that take up the entire city block to commemorate uh, these police officers. And I'm not, and I'm not saying like, oh, it doesn't matter that they died, but like Chappelle touched on this too. It's like, how are we going to like? How are we going to be so confused? Like the anger and like you know, uh, and just like the outcry from these communities that are you know murdered, and then then totally never question that when police officers do the same thing for their fallen people, and that we do for all our people. I mean, we do that for our soldiers and stuff too. Like it's just crazy to me, and I think that's a really poignant like point that they kind of hit on in this movie, and that Dave Chappelle hit on. Could kind of go full circle yeah i mean definitely well said and to me to touch on you know some of the things you mentioned like it's just always been you know and I, i'll admit i've gotten so much more you know i've become so much more aware of you know different perspectives over the past few years and just being privy to issues and problems that i otherwise probably never would have you know learned about or cared about in you know growing up in a small town in Alabama that's mostly white people um you know but i will say that what th- what has always struck me is that in a country where like you said for the entire you know history of this country has has never had black people um you know as a priority it's always been they've always been subjugated so it it just blows my mind that people today think that you know, racism apparently ended, you know, with Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't see how you can look at a country that for 300 to 400 years was built on the backs of, you know, black people for generations and somehow think that, you know, just a hundred years, a couple hundred years later, we're, we're somehow, you know, distant from that uh we're not and we're never going to be in a sense there's never going to be a a disconnect there so that's why i think it always bothers me like you said when not only people that you know maybe you know post things to make themselves feel better but on the opposite end of the spectrum when people you know immediately jump to conclusions and immediately try to say well he did this this is why he was shot you know it's there's a lack of perspective there and if you just can't i mean if you can't take a moment to consider, you know, what life would be like if you lived in a different skin color. I mean, I just can't, it, it always, it, it always just confuses me when I see certain people say the things they do. Um, and, you know, to kind of circle back to the film, I think that that's one of the things it does well with, you know, John David Washington's character. And there's another subtle thing they do with the funeral of the, the the man that shot 
you know, I, th- I think it's interesting you brought up fear because that that's one thing that you're definitely right about. I mean, there is a fear of John, De- of Dennis, you know, wanting to come forward because he knows that even though he's a cop, he's still, you know, acting on the intuitions of his, his black self. Like he, he knows that even though he's a cop and even though he's part of the system that coming forward could still spell the end of his career it could damage, you know, his family. Um, so I think that that's a really powerful message that shows that even though you, even though you become part of the system, you know, you're always to the system. You're still, you know, you're black. You can't hide that from the system. And I think another subtle um, piece of filmmaking that I thought communicated a pretty good message was that um, the man that was shot in in his funeral casket, he's wearing a military uniform. Um, oh yeah, and I and I think that was a really key and important distinction that they made. I mean, they don't they don't linger on it for very long, but I think it's just another way of saying that, you know, black people in this country are they're never going to be good enough in the eyes of the system. That like this man, you know, apparently you know fought for his country and you know made the ultimate sacrifice, like so many you know people like to say. And, you know, we tout our, you know, veterans for good for good or bad. We always are quick to, you know, defend their honor. And we should be thankful for that. But I think it was a very key distinction they wanted to make that, hey, this guy was a veteran who apparently is supposed to get the highest level of respect from all Americans. But it still didn't matter when it came down to him losing his life. The only thing that mattered was that, you know, he was, you know, black and you know, just in the wrong place at the wrong time. That's a great point. I mean, someone who have fought for our country and like laid their life down on the country, like for our country. It's one of those things too, that they, I mean, it was one of the big things that uh, Kaepernick got criticized for. It's like, how dare you spit in the face yeah. of our soldiers for, um, for kneeling. And it's like, you just spit in the face of this soldier for not respecting the fact that he was murdered by your justice system. Yeah. So, and, you know, people conveniently forget that, you know, Colin Kaepernick, when he first started his protest, he sought out, um, you know, a veteran to get his advice on how to respectfully protest. I mean, that, of course, gets lost in the discourse and nobody wants to talk about that. Um, but which I think is, you know, pretty the it's the cruelest irony of all that, you know, this entire message got muddled because people wanted to pretend that it was about the military when in reality they just are uncomfortable with what he's talking about and don't want to have that discussion. Um, and he even, like I said, he tried to take the advice of someone in the military and that, that message was still, you know, not heeded at all. So yeah, it's, um, there, it's sad that it's, um, so real. And I think that that's one of the good parts about, uh, Xerix arc is that it kind of leads into, you know, not to skip ahead or if we're still talking about Dennis, but you know, that that's one of the more powerful things. And that's how the movie ends is with zero, you know, walking out wearing the shirt for, um, uh, Darius Larson and kind of taking a knee. I know he's taking a knee with other players, but you know, I think that was a really powerful visual and definitely one that was intentional. I would think. That was a great scene. That was a fantastic. Before we move on to uh, that art, I did want to just mention one other scene. Um, you know, when 
John David Washington's character enters the police station one time, it shows that you know there's one cop that comes up to him and invites him to the party they're having because for the cop who's been put on leave that actually committed committed the murder, and that just kind of goes back to you know what we've been talking about that that you know there's there's no remorse there from anyone in the in the system that you know they're they're throwing this guy a party who has just killed someone just because he's going on a, a leave of absence for for committing murder and you know not and, even mentioning the fact that he's he's he killed someone and then he's only just going on leave like he doesn't get yeah. fired he doesn't get transferred exactly. like he he just gets put on leave yeah exactly and you know that's it's that's something that's very real because that's kind of the point that I was trying to make earlier when I was, you know, I I was talking about John David Washington's character, but it's really like the more, more broad and goes over the whole, that whole, the whole police system that until you see, you know, there's this brotherhood of police that, you know, they have each other's back and all that kind of stuff, which I guess in, it is a good thing in some ways, but in the, it's not a good thing when you have people that are supposed to protect and serve us that are not willing to stand up when some injustice happens and are not willing to, you know, be uncomfortable and, and make a stand. I mean, there's nothing easy about it. I mean, you're, you're at risk when you do make a stand, but what I was trying to say earlier, until that happens, then, you know, the, there's not going to be really any true reform that's going to fix any of the major problems we have. And yeah. I probably didn't do a good job of communicating that, but that's no, you're 100% right. You're 100% right because that's why it's such a complicated issue because there are worthwhile, you know, institutional changes you could make to procedure or, you know, resource allocation or, uh, responsibility management between what the cop, what cops are asked to do and what they're not asked to do. But at the end of the day, there is certain things, you know, ideology is a much harder thing to reform and you can't, you can't fix that as easily as you can say, Oh, well, we're going to defund, you know, some of these police units or we're going to, um, you know, we're going to change the, the legislation pro or the um, judicial process so that, you know, prosecutors aren't having to, you know, work so much alongside with police uh, on sensitive issues. So, I mean, you can you can adjust those types of things, and those are already hard enough to, you know, manage. But like you said, you know, it's it's ideology that's hard to change, and that's harder to to snuff out. But yeah, if so, that's really all. I, the only thing I wanted to add there. So, if you guys are uh, ready to move on to the next arc, then um, you know, I'm ready Definitely. to. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Zerich's arc, um, obviously he's, you know, a very talented baseball player, we find out. And like I said, you know, earlier, I, I, it's just another example of another character that has this internal conflict between, you know, who they are in one sense and who they are from a broader societal view. Um, and I really think this was, um, you know, this was the second, my second favorite arc um, out of all of them. Um, just because it does have a, you know, I guess it's more relatable just because he is a younger, he's younger and more similar 
to like our age, I would say. Um, and so you have this, you know, sense of you have this sense of connection where he wants to do something, but he doesn't necessarily understand the scope of how to do something at first, which is why he got seeks out like the, the girl. Um, I'm not sure what her name is, but um, I could find that. I think her name was maybe it was Michelle. I'm not sure if that's who the actress is. I think. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not her. Um, anyway, it's not. I mean, she's not a major character, but um, her name, her character's name is Zoe. Okay, so yeah, well, so that's why he seeks Zoe out. Um, because, like I said, he wants to. He's been impacted by this, you know, shooting, and he wants to, you know, play a part, but he doesn't really know how. And, you know, it, it's just. Like I said, another example of the double consciousness idea of him wanting to do right by, you know, someone that looks like him being a victim of the system. And I think it's a really powerful and and believable. I thought it was a very believable performance, uh, you know, by uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. Because, you know, he's he's apparently supposed to be this first round baseball prospect, you know, destined to probably make millions of dollars. Yet he is, you know. It just goes to show that this issue is is a real issue that you know humanizes and takes the can take the humanity out of any situation and just really make you consider what what really matters. And so that's that's just a lead off of why I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, no, I agree. I, I I'm a big fan. I well, uh, both of both John David Washington. And um, Harris Jr., they're like some of my upcoming favorite actors. Um, so that was what, that was, was such a pleasant surprise to see that they were in this because I'm a, I'm a big fan of both of them. More so, I think Calvin Harris Jr., I think more so him because I just think I've seen more of, of his stuff. But... I thought he was fantastic in this and I was I was I was very shocked by how much this resonated with me cuz I thought going into it I was like oh you know there I don't really know where his story's coming from you know you had these these previous two that just on paper sound way more interesting and then like like you said it ended up being one of the one of the better ones of the three stories um uh, it's it's definitely kind of a play on something like Kaepernick, where it's like, like you said, I mean, it's someone who feels upset, and he he mentions before, and it is kind of hinted at throughout the film, like he's really someone who kind of keeps his head down. He doesn't really get into politics or you know what's going on in the world right now, and but it's just it goes back to that like. He he kind of feels this grief that he doesn't understand because he kind of tries not to pay attention to it, and it kind of buries deep into him, and it kind of eats at him because he really wants to do something about it. But then back to that, you know, this kind of this lack of empathy towards towards that grief, it becomes an issue of, you know, you're about to be a, a, a star baseball player, and like you're unfortunately you're putting your career on the line for standing up against. A systemic issue that should be fixed should have never existed in the first place, really. Yeah. And it's just the fact that, like, he genuinely 
and it's a it's it's great when his dad has the talk with him. He's like he's like his dad says straight up. He's like cops get off all the time. Black people get killed all the time by cops. It's awful, but it's just a reality. He said, I hate it, but it's also something I'm trying to get you out of. And so then it's almost like, dang, like it almost does make sense. Like you almost understand where like, where like a character like the dad's coming from, where it's like, once again, I think that's what I like about the movie is that for the longest time in these, with this subject matter, it's been very easy to just take a certain side and be like, yeah, this side, like all the other sides are wrong. And although I don't think it ever asks you to consider the those sides, you know, to be right, it it does kind of make you understand. Like, I see where you're coming from. Like, I don't agree with John David Washington's character, but I see where he's coming from. And like the dad, like I see where the dad's coming from. I might not agree. That's kind of not fair because I'm not in that position. I'll never be in a situation where I have to potentially give up my career to stand against uh, a racial injustice. At least I don't, I don't think I'll ever, you know, have my career threatened by that. Like I can understand though, being like, you know, Oh, this is a hard reality, but not thinking it'll ever change. So you want your son who has this opportunity to just get away from it. And you don't want him to, you know, lose that opportunity because of an outrage towards like this injustice. And I think it makes it all the more like poignant when, when he, when he goes, um, when he wears that shirt, you know, at his at his you know baseball tryouts or whatever, I forgot what it was. But and also another fantastic scene in his story that I think is very powerful. It's another one of those kind of subtle things when he decides to go towards go to the uh, protest, and once again he's like very apprehensive, and at first he's not saying anything. But then just like he looks around and he starts yelling the chant with them. And that 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 hit hard because that's happened before. I've I've I attended a, a, a protest for George Floyd not too long ago. And there were a couple people who you could tell they were a little scared to be there, but when like it starts going and we were like all marching and like, you know, saying, you know, we, we said a, a, a couple different phrases. You could see a lot more people starting to, you know, as everyone else was joining in, they started to become more comfortable and you could tell they really got emotional and started really going with it. And I just thought that was a really, really powerful moment in that. It, I thought, I thought like this whole movie was powerful, but I, I found a lot of stuff in his, in his, uh, arc very powerful. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think, you know, the lead up to that scene where he walks through his apartment and, you know, he has all his relatives there that, um, you know, or just kind of patting him on the back and he looks at the TV and sees like the, basically the coverage of the protests that are happening. And I think that's a, you know, a really subtle way of, you know, kind of his brewing conflict is like, you know, I'm sitting here and everybody's acting happy, like everything's okay, but you know, things aren't okay. And I think that was a very, you know, obviously, like I've said, you know, multiple times, you know, something I, I don't have really an understanding of or worthwhile perspective of because it's never going to impact me. But I do in a, in a loose sense, understand that perspective of, you know, sitting around and it's just hard for me over the past couple of weeks, you know, when I go to, you know, like I've had, my family has had, you know, different family members over to kind of just socialize and, you know, the protests have come up in conversation and, 
to me, I kind of that kind of resonated with me in a sense of, you know, we're sitting here in the comfort of our own home, you know, obviously we're all white and we're never going to have to reconcile with the issues and things that are affecting society for black Americans. So it's, uh, it's always, it's kind of stuck with me because I don't want to be one of those people that just kind of, you know, uh, you know, signal virtue signals about certain issues. And I, I want to, you know, live the truth that I, I believe to be a thing. And so it's all, it's kind of been a conflicting thought for me over the past weeks or so as, you know, how can we sit here and talk about, you know, these random things and, you know, just not be concerned for our fellow, our fellow man and, and not, not be just tore up all the time about it. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you guys relate to that in any way, but I definitely got that sense during that scene. Um, and one other thing I was going to mention is the one of the scenes that kind of flies under the radar, at least from what we were talking about, I think, is when he's meeting with the MLB scout and us as an audience. I think it's a very I mean, the effect I got was, you know, we're sitting here on pins and needles kind of like, oh, is he going to tell him about how he's getting involved with these protests? And that that very that thought it's in and of itself is indicative of, you know, the issue is. We, we as the audience see that as a potential roadblock to his success. And the fact that it even could potentially be seen as that is, you know, grotesque, you know. So I, I, that was kind of the effect I got is I, I found myself wondering, like, oh, I wonder if he's going to tell him about these protests because then that might affect his, you know, career potentially, which is, like I said, you know, pretty disgusting. Oh, and also there's a there's a really good point in that same scene where it's 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 also sad and upsetting, but it, through the dialogue they also kind of indicate it's like it's totally fine if you do drugs, which I don't think weed's bad anyway. No. But like it's like, but he even says it's like if you do weed and stuff, it's fine. Like I just need to know that that's not a big deal. Everybody does it, but then it's like. They kind of hint at, you know, smoking weed, fine, whatever. Having an issue and wanting to protest racial injustice, that's that's a problem. You can't do that. Like, that's a career ender. Yeah, that's a Find out you smoke weed. Like, I thought that was kind of a, a little, you know, something, once again, a very, like, nuanced perspective on an issue that just isn't, being, you know, handled correctly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um and one thing I, I did want to touch on kind of at the end here is, you know, I, I think that ending the film with his arc was pretty key. And I think that it leaves, you know, kind of, it definitely leaves you to have your own interpretation of what happens to his character. Um, and I think it was a really good decision uh, to make us kind of wrestle with the idea of, well, you know, would this derail his career or, you know, or not? And I think I, now that I say it, I don't know if it's necessarily supposed to be ambiguous because I think to me, at least personally, I think the intended idea is, you know, him making this big decision to wear that shirt out to the showcase, you know, I feel in and of itself is, you know, um, Oh, sorry. Uh, Ronaldo Marcus Green, the director, I, I feel like he's wanting to tell us, you know, based on how the other arcs concluded, 
I feel like he's trying to tell us like, you know, this was his career suicide. Like this was his voluntary, you know, he knows this is probably going to ruin his career in the eyes of, you know, scouts and fans and potential fans. Um, so I just wanted to get your guys' perspective on the ending and, you know, how you thought, you know, do you see it as that or do you see it as something that's purposely ambiguous? That's, I mean, that's personally how I see it because we've, you know, we've seen this happen in real life with Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick spoke up and took a knee and it, it ended his career. And this is a guy who was, you know, already established in the NFL at the highest level had played in a Super Bowl and almost won a Super Bowl. And if it can happen to him, then, you know, I think it's implied that this is going to happen to this young kid who, who is very talented and has aspirations to make it, but he hasn't yet. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I interpreted the ending. Um, Cruz, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I figured it was either one of two things. I figured it was either, you know, like the more cynical, like realistic message of he probably like, you know, that probably was a career ender. Um, it was either that or it was one of those things where like, uh, it was more like not ambiguous, but it's almost like the inception thing where like everyone's like, Oh, was the top spinning or was it not? And it's like, that's not the point. The point is that the character's in a certain place where he doesn't care. It's kind of like that. It's like, I personally think, yeah, his career probably was ruined before it ever, you know, started because of that. But I think probably the bigger point is that it, it was him saying, I don't care if it ruins my career. Like I'm going to put this as the priority over, you know, like I, I'm going to take a stand even if it does ruin my career. Um, yeah. But I, but I think realistically, I do think it ruined his career, and I think the director intends us to think that way. Yeah. Um, because I don't know why you wouldn't think that way. I mean, we've been, we haven't been, you know, been a reason to think otherwise. You know. And that's yeah. a good point because this, you know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about with the second part. I think it's a very conscious decision that this movie shows that the two people that do step up and are willing to, you know, to take the risk of, you know, with our first character, he, he risks, you know, he goes to jail for what he does for doing the right thing. And, you know, the third arc where we're kind of led to believe that he loses his career because of it. And it just kind of shows that, that the people that are willing to to stand up for what is right and are the the normal people and the people within the institutions are not doing that so it puts the it puts the responsibility on us to, that we have to we have to make that sacrifice and do the do the right thing no matter what the cost is so hopefully that we can you know eventually see change and that that's kind of just something that I was thinking about. Um, you know, I don't know if y'all have the same view there. Uh, Matthew, no, you, you had something to add. Yeah. I mean, no, you, you said it perfectly. I mean, that's, that's the takeaway I had. And like, I definitely think it's, you know, meant to be taken as he, he was choosing to, he, he was choosing to say he doesn't care about how, his, how it affects his career. Um, because like I, like we saw in the film, you know, each arc was, you know, we didn't see a, a happy ending for, you know, either of the two previous arcs. So I, I wouldn't think that, you know, that would be the, 
the turning point is the ending. I don't, I don't think we were meant to think that it was a, you know, something that worked out uh, for um, for the character there. So, yeah, all, all well said. I completely agree. But um, I don't know. I, I definitely think that this was this was a good uh, this was a good discussion, and I, I I'm really glad that Cruz recommended this film. Um, I'm really glad we got to dive into this because, you know, while while I think that protests have seemingly slowed down, while I know there's still thousands of people, you know, marching every day, um, I, I I do think that we would have done, you know, we would have done a disservice not discussing these issues and um, the the small you know the small platform that we have. I, I definitely think we still, you know owe it to ourselves and owe it to the people that listen to, you know, communicate this, these issues. Um, so uh, with that being said, uh, are you guys ready to put a rating on this film? Yeah, I think I'm ready. Um, okay. Uh, well, I'll go ahead and go. Um, I, you know, definitely watching this film as soon as it ended, I, I did really enjoy it. And as we've talked, the more we've talked about it, I've, you know, just, it started to sit, better with me just over time um like we've discussed the, throughout the past you know two hours uh I, I i really appreciate the message this film gets across i think that it is sadly still extremely relevant i would encourage people that if you have been interested or involved in any way in the discourse over the past month you know definitely uh, give this film a watch um that, because I, I do think it is has a profound message to communicate. Uh, but without further ado, I, I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a four, four and a half out of five. Um, I, like I said, I think that it has certain things that hold it back from just a filmmaking perspective, but those complaints are kind of just um, you know, superficial to me in a way when you have a film that's delving into the subject matter that it goes into. And I think between the performances... Um, the storytelling that's here and just how how much it resonates with reality that we're witnessing today, um, I think it more than deserves uh, that high of a score. So four and a half out of five for me. Um, yeah, for pretty much the same, same reasons Matthew said. I mean, I, I don't think there's some things that we've already discussed that I personally think didn't quite work with the way they structured the film. Um, not not to say that it's like super flawed or anything. It's just there's some things I think could have been done a little bit different to be more effective. Um, but for a f first feature film uh, by you know the director Renato Marcus Green, this was his first full length film. This is a you know an impressive impressive debut. Um, you know the uh, the messages really hit home. The themes, um, it's really done from well done from that perspective. The acting's great, um, so I, I'm going to give it a four out of five. And you know my my only knock really is just the the way the film's structured. Um, I just I just feel like that could have been done a little bit better. But uh, I very much um, enjoyed watching the movie, and I really feel like I got something from it. Um, the messages and themes really. Uh, you know, like Matthew said, as we've talked about it, there's more about the movie that 
you know, I didn't really pick up from you guys have, you know, kind of saw things a little bit differently, you know, picked up on things that are a little more subtle. Um, so I definitely think this movie was a, a very good, very good movie. And I'm glad we took the time to, to watch it and talk about it. So, uh, yeah, it gets four out of five from me. Uh, yeah. Um, I love this movie. I know that given the circum, like the subject matter, we didn't go into a lot of the filmmaking. Um, like I said, uh, I I think it's a very valid criticism. Um, it did not bother me. I liked the vignettes. I liked how they kind of worked and operated. Um, and I actually really liked the filmmaking behind it. I mean, I like obviously I like the director's use of subtlety and nuance when delving into it into these you know concepts. Um, and I I like the filmmaking. I agree that. It, it, it feels more. It feels almost like a document, like a documentarian type style. And although I don't, th- I, I think a lot of it comes from a place of him just being a first time director. Um, I mean, I do think he probably wanted there to be a like a more realistic documentarian type of style to it. What I will say is, I do think there is a lot of amateur qualities to the film, but I think those amateur qualities end up kind of helping a realism that's already like found in the writing of this film so to me it just kind of works out um i i was busy this week those movies i mentioned earlier i watched like in the like in the weekend leading up so i actually didn't finally get to watch this movie until this morning so it is still very fresh and young i've only seen it once now and it was this morning so um it is already continuing to sit with me pretty well I'm going to give it a four out of five right now just because I don't like to hand out five out of fives, but I could really easily see this movie moving up to a five out of five for me just because for a lot of the films I've watched that have had similar subject matter, Black Klansman, um, Sorry to Bother You, and and, plenty of other movies, Um, If Bill Street Could Talk, stuff like that, Although I think a lot of those movies are fantastic, and I would say from a filmmaking perspective are better than this, I think just just how well written and just how... Once I, I feel like I'm using the same words over and over again, but really just how nuanced and mature this film is and how it takes those themes. I would go back and watch this before I would watch Black Clans or Sorry to Bother You. Probably not Barry Jenkins films because I also feel that way with Barry Jenkins films, but there's also still stronger filmmaking qualities. But for a film that is touching on subject matter so relevant, this is one of my favorites so far. So this could easily come back being a five out of five for me, but for right now, I'm going to go with a four. Very well said. Um, You know, I definitely, definitely thought highly of this across the board. Um, uh, and I knew that would probably be the case, but yeah, definitely glad that we covered this film. And it, like Jake said, I, I definitely got something out of it. Um, I wanted to book in th- this review, um, by plugging, um, ways you can donate, uh, to support, um, you know, black lives, black lives matter, uh, communities of color in general. 
Um, there's an article that I will include in the uh, description on Podbean and Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's a New York Mag article um, called 137 Ways to Donate in Support of Black Lives and Communities of Color. And it basically is just like a master list of victim memorial funds, bail funds, uh, community restoration organizations, uh, community enrichment organizations, youth-oriented community organizations, just all types of um, all types of worth, worthwhile uh, mediums you can uh, donate. So rather than list off a you know concise list or try to narrow it down, um, I will just include this article here, and I encourage you to uh, give it a look. And if there's something that you know you feel compelled to support and donate to please do uh so that will be there and cruz i know cruz wanted to also mention a couple of um worthwhile funds and organizations uh that you could also donate to so i'll let cruz do that now uh yeah um i just have a couple i wanted to name that i've donated to in the past um first one is um Sorry, uh, Black Trans Advocacy Coalition. Um, you can reach that on blacktrans.org. Um, they have a bunch of uh, kind of relief funds and, and stuff like that for, for black trans um, because I know that it's Pride Month as well. And, you know, that's a whole other discussion in itself about, you know, the mistreatment towards LGBTQ uh, communities. But I feel like especially black trans people, I mean, they have it hard because, I mean, they are they're being discriminated on for many, many different reasons. And they kind of get left out a lot. You know, I hear a lot. You know, we hear a lot about trying to support LGBTQ and, you know, um, disenfranchised uh, African-American communities. But black, you know, black trans people are probably one of the biggest ones. And so. That that's a that's a website you can go to blacktrans.org and they'll you know have other things you can donate to and give you the option to volunteer for stuff that's really good. Um, there's a there's a campaign zero, and um, it's this um, organization that's just trying to fight against uh, police violence in America. They're wanting to they are trying to give policy solutions to how we can stop police violence. So, I mean, you have a lot of organizations that are great that are donating to um, people who have been victims of police violence, but this, um, but this organization is trying to actually help put policy solutions. And, you know, I know that sometimes a lot of times it can seem like trying to work within the system is, hopeless the the doom and gloom is definitely very relevant especially these days but um you know we're gonna have to somehow get policy changes to stop this stuff and that's an organization that is trying to help with that um and then the other two i want to touch on are just personal ones i'm a big fan of um no name book club no name uh she is she used to be a musician i don't think she does music anymore but she's a great musician, but she started a, she started a book club that in itself is already really great because you can read, um, you can read, you know, books 
from there. She, she kind of wanted to start a local shop so you didn't have to, um, so you didn't have to, you could support like a black owned business, um, and black owned organization instead of something like Amazon that already has, you know, tons of access and stuff like that. Um, they have a membership. Essentially they try to write, I think they try to write like two books every month or something like that. And they're just, they're trying to uplift more like people of colors voices. They try to get authors and they use, they have a fundraiser where they'll use money to pay for a lot of like artists and like photographers and, and people of color who are help, you know, try to put out artistic outlets and, one of the most important things and why I really am, am asking, you know, people to consider they're having a goal right now. They started a program called the free reading program because, uh, uh, essentially there is some private prisons is already a thing in its own. That's a whole conversation. There's a lot of awful corruption within private prisons and, um, I encourage everyone to read about it, but they do not give a lot of prisoners, um, a lot of, people incarcerated like great access to books um usually they they hand pick books that are uh really kind of just not useful to to rehabilitating you know incarcerated uh citizens and they only give them like five it's like two it's like five cents for like five minutes and it's already very difficult. It's like a day's work or more to just make five cents in prison and then only to get, you know, five minutes with a book. So they started this organization where they can start sending books to um, people who are incarcerated in private prisons that they can keep and read whenever they want. And there are a lot of philosophy books that teach, um, feminism and like Marxism and, and uh, like black radical movements that help educate them and educate these people and let them keep, you know, up to date with what's going on and, and see different perspectives and outlets that they can, you know, become educated on. Um, I, I wanted to say that they had like 10,000 uh, patrons, uh, patrons is the goal. And I, they've almost reached it. I know they haven't. I checked earlier today. I know they haven't reached it yet, but they're getting close. And to join, it, you can go as low as a dollar a month to $10 a month being like the highest. And just, you know, donate what you can. I, I never want people to feel like they have to donate if it's a financial struggle. But this is only $1 at the minimum and any, you know, any every cent counts and is a help. So definitely look into that one to anyone who happens to listen. It's called no name book club. And you can, you know, through that website, find other ways to help support them. That's all I've got to, to recommend of right now. Just, um, there's plenty more, but I know the link that Matthew's going to send is going to give, you know, all, most of those that are really great, but those were just a couple that I, I wanted to throw out. But with that, I think that is going to, Put the cap on this week's episode, um, and you know, like we've said many times, you know, I, I definitely think that it was worthwhile to get into this. And the discussion, you know, doesn't stop here. You know, continue to educate yourself and check out those resources um, as best you can that uh, Cruz provided. Um, you know, we definitely should be while while it is good for everyone to educate themselves on the 
issues and topics that we discussed, I definitely think that it's, you know, more important to amplify black voices uh, during this time because, you know, they're the, they're definitely the ones, you know, that are living, living through these troubled times and have been for all of, you know, American history. Um, but that is going to do it for Monsters and Men. Um, and I think, you know, usually at the end of the pod, we uh, like to plug the next week's film that we're going to cover. Um, but we haven't really uh, talked about it yet, but the next week is uh, it's going to be a little bit special. It's going to be a little unique. And I will let uh, Jake do the honors of uh, cluing you guys in on what we're going to be doing uh, next week. Yeah, so next week we're going to have a podcast where I talk about Lord of the Rings for 12 straight hours. Um, but, exactly. <laughs> no, but on a serious note, we are going to uh, rewatch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy and hopefully uh, put together one podcast covering all three movies. Because mainly, I know I have this view that they're, while they're separated into three movies, it's really just one big movie in my mind. So uh, I think we're going to try to put it all into one podcast and explore Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, and Return of the King. And, um, you know, we haven't really discussed how we're going to do that uh, format-wise. So, you know, some things might be a little bit different uh, when we release this pod. But, you know, I'm really looking forward to it because Lord of the Rings is my absolute favorite movies ever made is what made me fall in love with movies uh, in the first place. So I'm super excited that we're going to finally, or we're finally going to get to talk about these, uh, you know, kind of groundbreaking movies and uh, a truly phenomenal story. So um, yeah, I hope you guys ch uh, choose to listen to that because I'm, I'm definitely pumped to talk about it. I am too. You know, it's been a while since I've rewatched Lord of the Rings, but um, I definitely still love those films. And I'm a big fan of them. And like Jay said, we're going to do our best to, you know, consolidate our thoughts and feelings, uh, opinions, hot takes, whatever may come. You know, we're going to try and consolidate all of that for each movie into one podcast. And while that may create a podcast that, might be longer than a, a normal episode from us. I think that it'll be good to have all of our uh, all of our feelings about Lord of the Rings kind of located in one central uh, location. Uh, so I, I'm super excited to get into it and uh, talk about it, plan it, watch it. I'm I'm just excited on all. Yeah, I wanted to. I, I like Lord of the Rings. I wanted to do the Hobbit trilogy instead, though. Aren't those the better ones? I mean that is a popular opinion. Um, I think they agree. You got to start with Lord of the Rings and build up to the Hobbit. I mean, you can't just jump jump into the Hobbit trilogy. That's true. It's it takes a little longer to fully appreciate those uh those masterworks there, but uh maybe maybe one day we'll we'll have a comprehensive Hobbit pod. But that day is not today, and it's not next week. Um, but I'm super excited to get into it. So you have that to look forward to um, coming, coming your way next week. But 
that is going to do it for this week. Uh, we do hope you enjoyed this episode. We know it was a little bit uh, different of a, of a tone than normal, but we think it was uh, absolutely worthwhile and absolutely necessary. And uh, we hope you think so too. So if you've listened all the way to the end here, we do greatly appreciate your support as always. Please continue to, uh, you know, tell others about us, uh, subscribe on Podbean or Apple Podcasts if you have not. Um, you know, give us a five-star rating, pretty please. That would be really great. Follow us on Twitter at Shift Talking, our Facebook page, Shift Talk, the big purple square. You will not miss it. And without further ado, we're going to leave you here. Thank you so much again for all the support, and we will see you next time.